בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, good to be in Aventura, ברוך השם. We uh, have, uh, now we're up to number 83 in the uh, Musar Pirkei Avot series, ברוך השם. Uh, and also we started the new series on Sundays now uh, in Hollywood, where already uh, did three lectures, uh, different questions and answers about God, about anything really people want. Uh, and I think the questions are getting interesting, especially since some of the questions are coming from different age groups. Uh, the best questions came this Sunday from a seven-year-old. He had better questions than the adults, Baruch Hashem. Uh, I wish I could bring them. It gets, gets better questions than you guys. So, Baruch uh, Hashem, good questions. And this series, Baruch Hashem, is, uh, is advancing. The shiurs are becoming more and more packed with material. Uh, again, if you still haven't gotten the hint to bring a notebook when you're watching the shiur, then it's taken 83 lectures for you to learn nothing. Um, because I'm telling you that for me to prepare for some of these shiurim is literally six months worth of work. So if you think you're going to remember six months worth of work just by sitting down passively... Uh, like you're watching a movie, uh, you're mistaken, and, and chaval, chaval to, uh, to just forget some of this stuff. Uh, but anyway, some of the stuff stands out, and you're going to remember it whether you write it down or not. Uh, some of the stuff you may hear again, I try not to repeat the same things too often, uh, which forces me to learn, Baruch Hashem. Uh, but uh, some of the stuff is easy to forget. Uh, it's easy to forget, either because you have a Yetzirah for it. It could be your specific Yetzirah can convince you to forget this specific thing. Uh, it could be your Tikkun. So which means that in order for you to pass this Tikkun, you're going to have to earn it. Uh, or it could be just something that's not necessarily important in your life right this second, but could very well be extremely important in your life six months from now. So uh, highly recommended to uh, watch some of these shiri multiple times. Um, again, I try to make sure that uh, I pray hard enough for Hashem to give me good things to say for you guys. Uh, Hashem, you guys have a lot of schuyot, so so far so good. Um, so, with that being said, we're going to have uh, some questions in the beginning. You guys want to ask some questions? I mean, there's a lot of material. Hashem, I don't really know what the order is going to be, but I could start off with something that um, it's probably going to stereo questions in a certain way, but uh, that doesn't really matter. It's, uh, it's something that I find very scary. And if you're not scared, it just means you're numb. It just means you're numb. It doesn't... Rabbi Islami Salant, Allah Shalom, he said, uh, you know, learning Musar, learning Yerat Shamaim, well, how do you learn your Musar, Yerat Shamaim? You learn difficult stuff, difficult things to hear. One time he came to his yeshiva and he started yelling at his students, rebuking them. You're not learning hard enough. You're not doing hard enough. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. Ah, ah. He's learning. What? They're not learning. They're learning. It's like, what, what, make, what leads you to believe we're not learning hard enough? Like what? Did you find one of the tamidim in the yeshiva? Mechalil Shabbat? You found somebody's, uh, I don't know, going uh, with a goya? Like what? What happened? What makes you think we're not learning hard enough? Why? We're here, we're learning, what? Because I just heard there's a Mechalel Shabbat in France. I heard there's a Mechalel Shabbat in France. He goes, Kvodarab, it's in France. We're not in France. He goes, it's your fault. 
Because you're not learning hard enough here, it's your fault. It affects friends. It affects everywhere. So if you think that your mitzvot are exclusive to you and to your four walls that you live in, it's not. Kol Yisrael Aravim All of Israel are responsible for each other. So now, not all of Israel wants to listen. Sad truth. I was talking to big rabbi today and uh, he's telling me that uh, similar issues says, yeah, you know, this one particular person, he has to hide my shurim from his wife. From uh, He has to hide. I said, why does he have to hide his shurim, your shurim from, from his wife? Because she's allergic to me. She hates me. And uh, if, he, if she finds out that he's listening to me, it could be Shlom Bait problems. Shem Rachem. It's like even though if, uh, if he wants to donate, he has to donate to, you know, in cash or something. He has to donate on the side. He doesn't, can't tell his wife. I said, oh, but Hashem, at least your people still uh, donate. Mine do tshuva and then they hate me. And on top of it, they become enemies. So at least yours do tshuva, at least yours donate still. But such is life. Yetzirah gets stronger and stronger. And the Gaon Mivilna, Gaon Mivilna, Newton Bochaba, not Gaon Mivilna, Gaon Mivilna, he wrote a letter to his wife, Igiret Agra. Highly recommended for you to read it at least once a week. And if you're not going to listen, once a month. He tells his wife different instructions of what to do. Once he leaves, because he's leaving, he's going to Eretz Yisrael. In those days, it's not like a three-hour flight or ten-hour flight. You come back, one, two, three, you go for a trip for a week, and uh, no big deal. In those days, you go on such a long trip, you may not come back. So when, they, uh, when people used to leave, they would literally leave like their last will and testament. In case I don't come back, do this. And who knows when I'm going to come back. Sometimes they would go away for years. Not uh, They won't go away for a week. For years. But the tzaddikot of those days were able to handle it. So he told his wife, if the children curse, regardless of whether it's her children from the previous marriage, because apparently the letter tells us that she was married before him and had children, she had children, which teaches us Musar about all of these people who don't want to marry a wife, uh, a woman that's divorced with kids and this and that. The Vilna Gaon apparently did it. So teaches us how stupid we are really in this generation with all the stereotypes that we have against converts, against people of color, against people from different traditions, against people from this. Just find a reason. Find a reason to hate somebody. Just look for a reason. You have a reason? Raise your hand if you have a reason to hate somebody. Everybody would raise three hands. That find a hand. Let me borrow your hand. Let me borrow your hand. I have a reason. Everybody has reasons to hate somebody. You have a reason to love someone? Oh, I haven't thought about that so much. Ah, that's why the Mashiach hasn't come. So, the Vilna Gaon tells his wife, my dear wife, if the children curse, hit them. If the children curse, tach. 
Give him a nice hit. Now, if you go to one of the parents today, yeah, Orthodox Union, you have a family meeting, you have a seminar for parents, how to educate their kids. I'm not talking about how to educate their kids in the secular world. I'm saying religious. Chalidim. Dear parents, rabbis, rabbaniyot, if your kids curse, hit them. What are they going to do? They start throwing tomatoes at you. Hit them. Oh, it's not politically correct. This one, they could take us to jail. They could arrest us. They could did Child abuse. Shem Hashem. Chilul Hashem. They're going to start telling you it's Chilul Hashem. Start. They'll start calling you a goy. Shake it. What else are they going to call you? You tell the kids, the kids, Chas Shalom. But the Vilna Gaon said it, and he wrote it. So it's not me. It's him. Why? Because his Kedusha knew that when someone gets to such an extent that they are actually cursing, that means they've built a thick enough, thick enough klipa worth of sins around their neshama that the only way that you could wake it up is by breaking it because it's become like stone. And that's also one of the things that the nevuah, the prophecy of what's going to happen at the end of the days that Hashem Barach is going to circumcise our hearts, our hearts of stone. What does it mean, our hearts of stone? We've made so many sins that even to hear the truth, I am God that took you out of Egypt, is hard for us to sometimes hear. Simple truth. We're not talking about, hey, listen, he's going to... Simple, simple. I am God that took you out of Egypt. I am God that created the world. I Anything. Simple truth. It's hard for us to hear sometimes. Why? We've made so many sins that unless we must work on it, it's almost impossible. So sometimes you tell people, shurim, you give shurim a tough, tough information. You start talking a little bit about Midat Adin, how Hashem punishes, Mechalel Shabbat, Mot Yumat, death penalty for Mechalel Shabbat, the Rambam in the last Alakha, the last Alakha of Ilchot Shabbat, last Alakha, chapter 30, Alakha 15. He says a Mechalel Shabbat is considered 100% a goy, but not a nice goy. Because Job was a nice goy. Job was a prophet, Sadiq, Kodesh Kodeshim, there's a book in the Torah written by, about Job. We're talking about the Rambam specifically says he's considered 100% an idol worshiper. And in case you don't believe me, I brought the book. So now, if once and for all, people can stop blaming me for things. Like I wrote the Torah, Alvaya wrote something. He says, chapter 30, verse uh, Alakha 15, the observance of the Shabbat and the prohibition against worshiping false idols, false deities, are equivalent to to the observance of all of the mitzvot in the Torah. In essence, he's telling you the two are the same. That's what I've told you guys for years. Every single time Hashem talks about Chilul Shabbat, He talks about idol worship. Meaning, violating one is the same thing as violating the other. And Shabbat is an eternal sign between the Holy One, blessed is He, and us. For this reason, whoever transgresses other mitzvot is considered to be one of the wicked of Am Yisrael. But the person who violates Shabbat is considered to be 100% idol worshiper. 
Both of them are considered to be equivalent to Gentiles in all regards. Therefore our prophets praise Shabbat observance, saying in Isaiah 56, 2, Happy is the man who does the following, and the mortal who holds fast to it, who keeps the Shabbat without desecrating it. So now you have the language of the Rambam. If that's not enough, you could also look at the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch 72.2. You could also look at uh, the Gemara in several places, in the Tanakh, and so many other places. There's seven places in the Shulchan Aruch, including Ilchot Shechita. It's also in the Zohar. It's in 12 places in the Chumash. I mean, there's no other place, there's no, there's no lack of sources. It's not my understanding, as you just heard yourself. It's literal. But sometimes you tell this to people, and they tell, no, no, uh, I don't believe you. Like, I, like it, I made it up. But needless to say, it hurts them. It hurts them, it, it bothers them. When they hear it, it bothers them. That's why if someone goes against you, it's not necessarily all bad. It's not all bad. Someone, you start saying to people, listen, Chilul Shabbat is a very big deal. You have no Olam Abba, you have this, you have that, all these different punishments. The Reshit Chokhmah, Masechet Gehenom, talks about a Mechalel Shabbat has an eternal punishment. Eternal. Seventh ch- chamber of Gehenom and never ends. And I'm not even going to go into the details of what happens there, Hashem Rechem, I learned a little bit about it today. Honestly, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. It's enough just to know that there is one. You don't want to know. And you tell people this. You tell people, listen, the wigs, it's Avodah Zarah. It's Avodah Zarah on your head. You have a problem. Tell people, you do all these different things. You go, you're intermarried. You're touching a non-Jew. You're touching someone that's a non-Jew. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. You have a problem with Hashem. If you died right now, you're, you're finished. You have a problem. It's not like a joke. It's not like, ah, nah, he'll understand. It's okay. I'll let you pass because you're a nice guy or you're a nice girl. It doesn't work. There's no you'll pass. If you read Reshit Chochmah, Masechet Genom, you don't have to read the whole thing. Read the first three sentences. Read the first five sentences. Read the first paragraph if you haven't puked yet. First paragraph, Masechet Genom, you, you get so scared, you get so scared, you're scared to move. Why? It specifically tells you, Hashem does not let go of anything. What does it mean, anything? What does it mean, anything? What does it mean, well, you violated Shabbat, you're not going to let go? No, no, not Shabbat. He's not even talking about Shabbat. He's not even talking about Shabbat. He's talking about if you had, instead of going to Shul Torah, you decided to sleep a little extra. You didn't go. Instead of talking with your friend, you had a meal. You had a meal. Instead of saying divrei Torah between the two of you, decide to talk about baseball or the stock market instead. Just have some simple conversation. They already talk about horrible things. How Hashem is not going to let this go. Scary stuff. But people are like, no, 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 you made it up. You read the books. Now sometimes people do read the books. Sometimes people do listen to the lectures. But it doesn't affect them. It's an affect them, mamash. Affects a little bit, moves. There's a twitch. The eye moves a little bit. 
They get scared for 20 minutes. They get scared for two days. But after that, they go back to their regular behavior. They continue going against Hashem on a regular basis. No problem. What happened? Rabbi Yisrael Misalant says, it's because their klipa of those such people that hear the truth but still continue to sin is so thick, so many sins have been made that they're practically numb. That even after you tell them the truth, it doesn't really affect them yet. You have to tell them again and again and again and again and again eventually until you break the boulder. It's not a rock anymore. It's one of these boulders you see on the beach that in Hebrew is called Selah. Selah is also in, in the Tehilim is forever, meaning those things never go away. Shem and Achem, maybe our hearts in some cases have become a Selah. So hard for us to do tshuva. So hard. But Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave us Torah. He gave us the instructions of how to do it. How to do tshuva. Despite how hard it is, it's possible. So there's no reason to lose hope. There's no reason to be depressed. There's no reason to get, you know, such an extent of uh, stress that you don't want to do anything anymore. But there is a reality check that's necessary. And the reality is, is that the nevuot, the prophecies that the prophets told us 3,000 years ago are coming true in front of our eyes. And I've talked to you guys about it for already the last few years of how many prophecies are coming true. Many times we've talked about the war of Gog and Magog. Rav Mizrahi has talked about that as extensively as well. Uh, and uh, several other rabbis as well have talked about it. Rabbi Zitron has talked about it extensively. I think he even did a series about the Mashiach. So, there's a lot of material about it. But the question always remains, how is it going to start? Now, it already started. We've already talked about this. It already started a couple of years ago in a similar way to how World War II, World War One, and then every other big war starts, which is usually quiet. It's like behind the scenes. There's a political issue. There's a few embargoes, there's a few money issues, there's a few killings, assassinations, changes of government, and so on and so forth. Usually it starts quiet. When is the boom start? When is the boom? Something big has to happen. The big thing that changed the war in World War II, seven years ago or so, was Pearl Harbor. Now the Nevi'im say, that before the big thing, the big boom starts in Gogu Magog, something will have to happen. Because in order for Ishmael to fight Esav, it's no longer two countries. It's not two countries. It's not like America versus Korea, or America versus uh, Iran, or, or uh, whoever. It's not two countries. It's two sides of the world. It's everything. Tishmael, Esav. Why would everybody want to go into a fist fight right now? And fist fight today is expensive. And the Devim say 
it's going to be a war over Yerushalayim. Now, we've had Yerushalayim, Baruch Hashem, for many years. Already a couple of thousand years, we haven't had Bet HaMikdash, but Yerushalayim has been around for a long time, even though it wasn't necessarily under Jewish control for much of that time, still it was there, no one fought over it. And even the recent battle of Yerushalayim, it's really recent, it's not really when we took possession over it, you know, a few decades ago. What's going to change? The change is about to happen. The change is about to happen any day when the President of the United States, Donald Trump, is said to announce any day now that he decided that he wants to make Yerushalayim an official capital of Eretz Israel. Once this happens, all bets are off. Why? It's officially a sav going against Ishmael. Right now, that people like Obama did not agree that Yerushalayim was going to be capital of Israel. It kept the Palestinians, the Saudis, the Egyptians, the Iraqis, every Syrians, every Turkish, everyone had kept them at bay. Why? No one is agreeing that Israel technically has a right to live. Technically, you don't even want to give them a capital in public. You don't agree. Maybe you support them a little bit, maybe you give them a few dollars, like the homeless people, you know, but you don't really support them. It's like a little bit. Especially when you vote against them. Especially when you give $300 million to the Palestinians a day before you leave office. Doesn't really show support. But now you're going to have a president that's not only going to show his support, but he's going to do something no president before him was willing to do. And say that Yerushalayim, Jerusalem is an official capital of Israel, not that necessarily we need his approval, but apparently the government of Israel technically, technically thinks they need it. But in the eyes of Ishmael, in, in the eyes of all of the haters of Am Yisrael, this is the biggest deal that's ever happened, even, even to such an extent that it's comparable to 1948 when modern Israel was founded. In their eyes, it's the same thing. I would not be surprised if unfortunately, a war begins the moment later. I'm not talking about days or months, moments. Why? This is official, this is official war. So, whether this happens tomorrow, or next year, or whenever, I don't know, it's not my business. But what I'm telling you is that the world is being structured in a way by Boreid Barach to make you guys wake up. To start working on your own stone hearts. Because if you keep sinning, nothing can help you. You keep going out with the non-Jew, nothing can help you. You keep violating Shabbat, nothing can help you. You keep going against the Chachamim. Nothing can help you. You don't want to pick yourself a rabbi. Nothing can help you. You want to be your own rabbi? You should know. Gemara says God hates you. No such thing as no rabbi. There's plenty of rabbis. There's plenty of Talmudic Chachamim. Pick one. Pick one. You can't be your own rabbi. Even the Gdolei Ador have a rabbi. Must have a rabbi. Why? Someone has to tell you when you're wrong. So now, 
One of the questions we had before the shiur started was about the whole Zionistic movement. Now, of course, we know that the people that found that technically are running the Israeli government right now are not exactly pro-Torah. They're anti-Torah, and in general, Zionism overall is anti-Torah. It's a socialistic movement that's really the original founders of Zionism hated Torah to such an extent that Herzl, for example, Herzl, is documented in his own journal. He had letters. There's actually a documentary about Herzl, anyone who wants to uh, watch it. And he documented it. He had a journal, and he had letters exchanged between him and the Pope. And he says to the Pope, I have a solution for anti-Semitism. What's the solution? I'm going to convert all of these Jews to Christianity, just like I did my son. He converted his son to Christianity, or Catholicism, and his plan was to convert all of the Jews. He says, if there's no Jews, there's no anti-Semitism. So, the hatred of the Zionists against Torah is not a secret. Anyone that still doesn't know it just means you haven't researched it. But that doesn't necessarily give us an open-door policy to hate Eretz Israel or Medinat Israel or even the government per se. You still have to comply. If you want to live there, regardless of whether you want to live in Israel or you want to live in America or you want to live in Kuwait or you want to live in Afghanistan or you want to live in China or you want to live anywhere you want to live, you must, Allah, Allah in the Torah says you must comply with the government. You must comply with the government. You have to follow the law. Just because you don't like them doesn't mean you're allowed to break the law. Oh, but they're all criminals. doesn't make a difference. Don't live there then. Someone told me, oh, can I start an illegal business because, you know, the founders of America are criminals and the, founders, the people running the country are criminals and this one's a criminal and that one's a criminal. So doesn't that give me a, an open policy to be a criminal? No. does not. not allowed to break the law. not allowed to take the law into your own hands. Not. So yes, we don't like the people that are running the uh, Israeli government for the most part because they're anti-Torah, but that doesn't mean anything. You go there, you live there, you comply with the law, and that's it. The fact that there are terrorists actually inside the government that want to kill you and me and them, it's strange that they would let such people inside the government, but such is life. Yes. It's a sufar to be in the army. Period. Right, right. No, it's a it's a sufar to be in the army for many reasons. There's modesty issues. There's a uh, the issue of dati um, shakala, uh, which means that if a woman is uh, you know is 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 shalom. Uh, taken hostage by the enemy, it's naturally much easier to convince a woman to spill the beans than it is a man, and it has nothing to do with pain, it has to do with kavod. Not not to pain. A woman can handle much, 50 million times more pain than any guy in here. Give birth once. See it. Give birth one time. Think about giving birth one time. Every woman can take more pain than you. It has nothing to do with pain. It has to do that a woman has to respect herself a lot more than a man does, simply because 
she's a woman, she's a queen. So it's that's the reason why a woman is actually not also not allowed to be a witness. Not allowed to be a witness in a courtroom. Why? Because you're not disrespect a woman. So the fact that many more women are becoming soldiers in Eretz Yisrael is a disaster. The fact that the uh, country in general, the government in general, is trying to make pretty much all of the people that go to Kolels and Avrechim become soldiers is a disaster. There's a lot of disasters happening around the world. There's a lot of them. But that's why this is our fault. It's our fault. And the reason why is the same reason what Rabbi Yisrael Misalem says. If you were keeping mitzvot here, like you're supposed to, they wouldn't be sinning over there. They're sinning over there, it's your fault over here. You're sinning over here, it's their fault over there. Can't just say, oh, they're a shine. No, no such thing. You're not supposed to hate the sinner. You're supposed to hate the sin. And this reminds me of what we talked about, I think, a week or two ago is that when it comes to rebuking, most people that rebuke, rebuke for the wrong reason. They rebuke because they just like to tell people what to do. Not because they're trying to help them. If you're going to rebuke someone, first ask yourself, why? Are you rebuking them just because you know something they don't and you want to prove to them that you do? Or are you rebuking them because you actually care that they're going against your father? There was a guy one time broke down in, in Israel, real story, broke down, car broke down, and um, ran out of gas. Ran out of gas. So, at the time, there wasn't necessarily a gas station in every corner. You had to walk several uh, miles to the closest gas station. And, uh, you know, he had a little thing with him, bucket with him or whatever, to carry to get, get the gas. But as soon as he got there, he saw that on the sign, billboard, there's a big billboard on the gas station, 24-7, open 24-7. We're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he decided, oh, Mr. Balabait, Mr. Owner, where's the nearest gas station? And the guy says, here. He goes, no, 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 the different one. Where's a different gas station? Balabai didn't know what's wrong with this guy. Or I don't know, maybe trying to sell something. But who knows what, he, what the reasoning behind such a question is. He says, oh, it's five miles down the road. He goes, thank you. And he starts walking away. So one of the people that was filling up gas was well-to-do. And uh, so, hey, sir, what's, why'd you ask him such a question? Why are you walking? You want me to give you a ride? He goes, no, no, I'll go, I'll go. It's okay. He goes, no, but why... What's wrong? He goes, I can't fill gas up here. I can't, I can't do it. He goes, why not? What, they're too expensive? You need money? I have a few dollars to give you. He goes, you're not going to understand. You're not going to understand. He goes, no, no, try me. Try me. Why am I not going to understand? He goes, let me ask you something. If you went to a place, you went to a store, and on top of the, the, the billboard for the store says they're embarrassing your father. It's a sign cursing your father out, saying all types of nasty things against your father. Would you do business with them? He goes, of course I wouldn't do business. I killed them on the spot. Burn the place. I'll burn the place. In a minute, I'll burn the place. Who's doing that? He goes, unfortunately, this guy's doing it. He goes, where? 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 He's looking. He doesn't know. He goes, look. He says he's open 24-7. He says he's open on Shabbat. My father in heaven, Hashem Barach, says you're not allowed to work on Shabbat. 
So he has this, not only is he open on Shabbat, he's advertising it to the world that he's a violator of Shabbat. He's advertising it to the world that he says, I don't believe that your father exists, Hashem Rechem. You think I'm going to do business with such a person? Now this secular guy that's listening to this, he's, wow, never hurts you to think. Because, okay, fine, listen, I think you're a little magzim, a little exaggerating, but okay, fine, I'll give you a ride. He gives him a ride, drops him off, and says, listen, before you go, give me your number. In case I have a need to learn something or do something, I'll call you. They exchange phone numbers, and that's it. A few years pass. One day, this tzaddik gets a phone call on a Thursday morning on a you know strange, really long number from a different country. Hello? Hey, Kvodarav, how are you? No, I'm not Kvodarav. Who's this? I'm not Kvodarav. Oh, no, you remember me? I met you. Da, 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 da. Okay, yes, yes. How can I help you? Because, listen, I need you to come to the uh, local bank. He goes, which bank? Uh, the, uh, the big banks that they have over there. I need you to come to the bank. I need you to meet me. It's in, uh, I think it was in Tel Aviv. Why? Well, you need money, you lend you money? I don't really have much. I'm just an avrech, a simple avrech. I learn. He goes, no, 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 no. I need you to come. Trust me, it's worth it. I need your help. I need... Okay, said The guy goes to the bank. As soon as he gets to the bank, he goes, here, this is for you. And he gives him $250,000. And he says, what's this for? He says, my father just died. And he was very rich. And he lived in America. And he wrote on his will that I'm only allowed to give. I'm only allowed to take this money if I give Maser to someone that has real Yirat Shemaim. Someone that's really... How's Yirat Shemaim? And I said, I asked the guy, what's Yirat Shemaim? So somebody that's afraid of God. He goes, oh, I know somebody that's afraid of God. He goes, who? Someone that's afraid of God. He's not even willing to get gas from a person that's violated Shabbat. You're the only one I know. Hashem pays cash. Pays cash. You just have to wait sometimes. So, the issue of Yirat Shemaim is something that we have to somehow break the rock and insert into our minds implant into our hearts but sometimes sometimes the simple teaching is not enough telling you not enough telling you that considered idol worshiper not enough so one of the things that's been considered right now, it's still not a decision, it's got to a point where I don't really have much of a choice, but we'll have to decide. The shiur tomorrow is not going to be about the Mishnah. It's going to be probably about Hanukkah and a few other things. And the reason why is because the next Mishnah is about Genom. And I'm just not sure how much information I can give you. Can't skip it. We don't skip it. The only thing is, is how much information to give you. And the reason why is on one hand, that information is necessary for some people. It's necessary. On the other hand, some people, it's unnecessary. So we have to tread carefully. And maybe next week we'll do it over here. We'll see. Now, 
Before we get there, we have what we have to deal with today. Now the question is this world. The Mishnah in Avot 4.28 says the following. Rabbi Lazar Kapar Omer Akina Vatava Vakavod Motsin et Adam in Aulam. The Rabbi Lazar Kapar says, Jealousy, lust, and glory, Kavod, remove a man from the world. That's the Mishnah. Now, we already had a Mishnah earlier in chapter 2. And also in chapter 1, we had a couple of Mishnayot that uh, said something similar, not the same exactly, but something similar about things that took a person out of the world. One of them was referring specifically about this world. The other one was referring about Olam Abba. The Chidush about this Mishnah is Rabbi Lazar Kapal says this is both. A person that does not know how to control their jealousy, their lust, and their glory, loses both worlds. So first and foremost, who is Rabbi Lazar Kapal? In Igmar Masechet Chulin, page 56b, also in the Tosefta, um, as well as a few other Gemarot, uh, it talks about Rabbi Lazar Kapal, um, also in uh, Masechet Megillah, page 29, and a few other places, talks about Rabbi Lazar Kapar, and it says that he lived at the time of Rabbi Udanasi, Rabbi Ishmael ben, uh, ben Rabbi Yossi. Uh, he was also friends with Rabbi Chia. And there's a few famous things that he said throughout his, uh, throughout the Mishnayot. One of them is something that's relevant to all of us, is that the reason why you finish the Amidah with Ose Shalom B'Mumav U'Barachamav Ose Shalom Alenu Ose Shalom Hashem brings peace is because if someone really thinks about it someone really delves into peace the significance of peace he says it's the number one blessing of all to have peace to mamash have peace is everything peace of mind peace in the country peace in your work, peace in your marriage. To have peace is everything. He says, and that's why we say it three times a day at least in Amidah. Because that's the main thing you should be asking for. Instead of asking for money and for a girlfriend and for a boyfriend and for a kid and for a job and for a new car and for a new watch and for a new... All the shtuyot, all the garbage and nonsense that we waste our prayers on, ask for peace. Why? It's everything. You have peace, you have everything. You don't have peace, you have nothing. You don't have, imagine you have millions and millions of dollars, but you're stressed out because your kid's a cokehead. You don't know if he's going to survive tonight or not. Shem Hachem. You don't know if you don't know if you have to call the cops, if you have to call the hospital, if you have to call the fire department. You don't know who to call. All you know is that the kid of Shem Hachem can't stop doing cocaine every day, can't stop doing pills every day. He's addicted, he's not leaving, he's not stopping, he's not listening to you. What are you going to do? You have peace in your life. You think you care about the bank account you have? You know how many people I know that have peace? Count them in less than one hand. In reality, one person. 
Real peace. Peace where it doesn't matter. It could be Choban. It's okay. My Ralph. Everyone else, you know, some different people, different levels. Takes different things to shake certain people. But, real peace, you have to be glued to Hashem. Glued. Glued like glued. So, Rabbi Lazar Kapal says, when you say, Oseh Shalom, don't just say, Oseh Shalom, I can't wait to go home. Oseh Shalom, I can't wait to go home. Oseh Shalom, we're almost finished with, with, with the prayer. Oseh, every time, what are we thinking? Oh, I finished, but now they're going to have to do uh, Oh, they're going to do it again. Why do I have to wait for this? Can I just go on? Can I continue? Can I go forward? Can I go home? I have a meeting. I have a this. I'm tired. Everyone wants to go home. People think that the synagogue is like you're doing God a favor. You go there. So, Rabbi Azar Kapal says you're missing a huge opportunity. The Ose Shalom, that's the blessing. So if you're Kavanah, when you're saying Ose Shalom, is you want to go home, you miss the whole prayer. You miss the whole thing. That's why actually I, re- I believe it's in a Mishnah Bruah. Don't quote me because I'm not sure, but I, I believe it's in Mishnah Bruah. He says, if you don't have full Kavanah, if you don't have full Kavanah on one of the first three blessings in Amidah, first three blessings, Avram's blessing, Machia Metim, Hashem is Kadosh, those first three blessings, that's the three blessings that pretty much never change. Doesn't matter whether it's Shabbat or it's Yom Chol or it's holidays, usually they don't change. It changes a little bit during the Yamim and Oraim in, uh, in uh, Yom Kippur, but still, foundation is the same. The rest of the week, the rest of the year is the same. In Mishnah Bura, I believe it's Mishnah Bura, he says, if you don't have full kavanah, what's full kavanah? Meaning you mean every single word. He says you have to do it again. Go over again. How many times? As many times as it takes. As many times it takes us a hundred times to have full kavanah to say machia metim. Do it a hundred times. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Why does it take you a hundred times to realize that Hashem is machia metim? Why? What are you thinking about? But you have to do it a hundred times. If it takes a hundred one, do it a hundred one. Why? If you don't have full kavanah of the first three, he says, it's like you didn't do it at all. So you didn't do the whole thing. The whole thing that doesn't mean you could do it. You could have extra covenant on the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, all the way to nineteen. Doesn't make a difference. You don't have full covenant on the first three. It's significant. Most of the time, we're in a hurry to finish. We start realizing maybe we're we're in a hurry and we're not really doing the right thing. And now we know that at the beginning we have significance. At the end, we have significance. Knowing the value of each one of the mitzvot helps us do them. The second thing that Rabbi Lazar Kapal says about Batekneset in Gemara Masechet Megillah, page 29. You're 29 yet? Almost. Says the Batekneset, one of the nevuot, one of the prophecies is going to happen at the end of times. Hashem is going to take all of the holy Batekneset, not just any place that has four walls and people attend. All the holy Batek are going to be relocated. Where? Eretz Yisrael. 
How? That's Hashem's business. That's the reward for being a holy Bet Knesset. So, this is also connecting, connecting to what's happening today. We're starting to see, we're starting to see that the end of days is literally coming in front of us. And the fact that the government is going against its own people is also one of the nevuot, one of the prophecies that's also supposed to happen, which is in Igmara Masechet Sota, page 49. So, now that we see that Rabbi Azar Kapar was one of the Tanaim Kedoshim, one of the giants, we know who we're dealing with, let's start listening to what he has to say. So he tells us, Akinah, jealousy, lust, glory, make us lose both this world and the next. The Gemara Masechet Shabbat, page 152, it says, it uses a word, it uses a verse from Proverbs 1430, it says that anyone who has jealousy in his heart, it leads to their bones disintegrating or decaying. Now, some people think that the Torah talks in analogies or allegories or, it's, you know, it's nice things to say, it's cool, it's like, you know, but it doesn't really mean anything. But that's actually one of the things that's been proven. And when you see some of the big tzaddikim, when they open their graves, in many cases, not only were these people complete, as if they were sleeping, even though they've been buried there for 70 years, for 100 years, and in some cases a few hundred years, um, it literally looked like they were still alive. Whereas anyone would tell you that if once somebody dies, their body immediately starts to disintegrate. Within a year, there's nothing left. It's just the bones. So, he's already telling us that one of the main things that causes us to lose all of it, both in this world and the next, whether it's through diseases like arthritis and other um, similar diseases, in this world, or after, one of the main things spiritually that leads to it is jealousy. Now, jealousy technically was one of the midot that Hashem gave us for good. You can use jealousy for good and for bad. The good part of jealousy that you're supposed to use it for is kinat chachamim. Kinat sofrim tarbe chachma. There's a ma'amar uh, in Baba Batra 21 where it says that you're supposed to be jealous of tamidei chachamim. Supposed to be jealous of them. Why? When will I get to be like them? When will I be to be a tzaddik like them? When will I know the shas like them? When when I finish the Shas? When when I finish one Gemara? When when I finish one page? When when I learn the Tanakh? When when I learn just the Chumash? And understand what it says? When? When when I be like them? Oh, look, this seven-year-old asks questions better than adults. How come? If it doesn't bother you, you're not using your jealousy the right way. 
if you're jealous of your next door neighbor because he has a nicer car than you, if you're jealous of your next door neighbor because he has a nicer house than you, a nicer wife than you, not only you're not using this midah for the good, but you've turned food into poison. You've turned a present into an atomic bomb. So the kinat sofrim is a rivalry between scholars in order to increase wisdom. And the reason why is because when two people are tamidei chachamim, and one is challenged by the fact that his friend, his colleague, or even someone that's in a different city, has reached higher level Torah than he did, it could lead him to do more. Why? It's motivation. It's necessary to be motivated. On the other hand, if instead of looking at his Torah, he's looking at his bankroll, he's using what Hashem has taught him and throwing it in the garbage. I actually told you guys you could ask some questions. You want to ask questions? Then we'll continue. Do you have questions? Why did he pick Eretz Yisrael? He picked it. He created one place in the world. Why did he pick the Torah? I don't know. That I don't remember reading it anywhere, but that doesn't necessarily mean the reason doesn't exist. I just don't know it. Anything else? When, when the Chachamim say to hit kids, they, they don't necessarily mean to hit them to the point where they get bruises and uh, it's, uh, it breaks something, chas v'shalom. We're not referring to that. That's, you know, that's, that's obviously taking things too far. What the uh, uh, appropriate childbearing is supposed to be is to have a level of yirah, the level of fear from the child and the parent, to such an extent that you don't even have to hit hard, if at all. Sometimes, and most times, the threat is scarier than the actual event. So usually you're supposed to refrain from doing everything as much as possible, because the threat is much, much more scary than the actual event itself. Once you got to the point where you had to do something, then it's usually, if you have a, a good relationship with the child then it's really not supposed to necessarily hurt them physically, it's supposed to hurt them emotionally, meaning Abba's not happy with me. Ima's not happy with me. It's not that they're hurt and they can't walk now. That's, that's, you're going to go to jail for that. And you, don't need, uh, you don't need advice for something like that. You, you, know, you need a psychiatrist. Uh, but, uh, so when a parent understands this, takes this into account, uh, then that applies to all ages, really. That applies to whether they're, you know, six years old, seven years old, and they're trying to break the house, or they're 15 years old and they want a boyfriend. Um, so either way, if you have an appropriate relationship with your kid, then either way it should be effective. 
But again, you can't just start today. If you haven't done anything for 15 years and you think that tomorrow you're going to slap your kid on the tush and, and, and they're going to do everything you say, it's not going to quite work like that. It doesn't, it's, not, it's not magic. It takes time. So there was a couple that went to Ravavadia, Allah Shalom, once, and they told him, we need uh, parental advice. And he says, uh, oh, okay, um, you're late. Like, well, no, no, Kvod Arav, where the kid was just born. He goes, yes, exactly, you're late. He goes, what do you mean? No, no, the kid was born just now. He's just a baby. He's, a, he's two, three months old. He still doesn't know how to talk yet. He goes, yes, you're late. How could we be late? Were we supposed to come three months ago? He goes, no, you're supposed to come 20 years ago. First, you're supposed to educate the parent. First, you're supposed to educate yourself. If you educate yourself, you can educate the kid. But if the father and the mother don't know anything, how are you going to educate the kid? This also puts the onus on parents that send their kid to yeshivot and don't learn themselves. Because if you don't learn, if you don't make Torah the number one priority in your life, then your kid eventually is, not, is also going to do the same thing. Your kid is also going to get to a point where you're going to say, oh, Torah is not important to Abba and Ima. It's not important to me either then. So that's... Very important. So as far as when it comes to child rearing, in most cases, in most cases, you don't need to hit hard at all. You just need to tap the kid in essence to, to put some fear in them. In some cases, tough cases, it's uh, you have to do a little bit more punishment and so on and so forth. But like you said, you don't want to get to a point where the kid's already a uh, grown-up almost, they're a teenager, where in the previous generations would already be old enough to get married. You know, today people get married later, but my grandparents, for example, I, I believe they got married at 13 or 14 years old. And that's really how it was in those days. People didn't get married at 30 like they do now. If you're 30, you didn't get married in those days. It's either because you're a prostitute or there's something wrong with you. It's not normal to wait that long. Only in this generation it's normal, but in those generations it's not normal. Parents would start crying if their kids already start hitting 20 years old and they didn't get married. So... If the kid is already at a point where they're like 16, 17 years old, you really can't hit them. And it's not just necessarily because they're going to hit back, chas shalom, or anything like that, because if you, have a, if you have a fear that the kid's going to hit back, you have a lot more problems than the kid hitting, you know, doing anything in your house. If you actually think that your kid will hit you back, you've done something wrong. Not the kid's done wrong, you did something wrong as a parent. If your kid actually, if you're actually scared that your kid will hit you back, you did something terribly wrong with this kid. There's something you know, seriously, seriously wrong. It can't be just the kid's fault. Now, on the other hand, not doing anything is not possible, but doing too much is not possible. So you have to be clever. You have to find something to motivate him. You have to find something to encourage him, and you have to find something to scare him with. Usually they get scared because of uh, potential loss of their friends or uh, communication with their friends or potential loss of something material if, uh, you know, or potential loss of something. Kids are scared of missing out. That's the biggest fear that uh, people have is fear of missing out. Yeah. What about putting schug in the kid's mouth if he curses? I know his mother still do that. Putting schug in their mouth. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a it's a painful thing. I mean, again, it all depends on traditions. It depends on who the parents are. It depends what uh, you're going to do. You can't discriminate one kid over the other. You can't do it too much. 
to the point where you're actually hurting him. You can't do it too much to the point where it can cause serious damage in their stomach. You can't do it uh, to a point where the kid is, uh, you know, starts losing their mind. I mean, every, everything within reason. We're not we're not advocating child abuse here, uh, but at the same token, the the, the fear that parents have of uh, slapping their kids on the butt, I think, is to such an extent where the kids pretty much run the houses now. You know, so that's that's also uh, not safe either. Any more? What source allows a Kohen that's married to a non-Jew to serve as a Kohen? There is no source. A Kohen that's married to a non-Jew must be kicked out of the Keilah. He's considered a Poshia. A Kohen that's married to a non-Jew is considered a Poshia. Uh, he's not allowed to be counted in a Minyan. And they must put him on Cherem until he gets a divorce. As a matter of fact, if anyone wants more extensive information about that specific issue... Uh, it just happens to be a uh, tshuva that's coming out in the next book that Rabbi Ephraim is publishing now. It's Shailot uh, V'Tshuvot, Echtov L'Yisrael Perek Gimel. It's the third one. You already wrote the first two, Aleph and Bet. And Gimel will have the answer to what you just asked. Uh, well, you already got a review of this book? Uh, so it actually has this specific question about a Kohen that's married to a Goya. Uh, what happens with them, and they are not allowed to be counted in a minyan, they're not allowed to be part of the kila at all. Forget about serving as a kohen. That's not even a question of serving as a kohen. They're not allowed to be in a minyan. Minyan, not allowed to count them. They're considered uh, not part of Am Yisrael. So, it's a very, very serious, serious topic, because, unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, people that have, have made this issue, this mistake. The one chesed that Hashem is doing for us that we know of with the Kohanim specifically is that not all Kohanim are really Kohanim. Not all Kohanim are really Kohanim. Not all. Sometimes you have a person named Kohen and he's not even Jewish. I actually have somebody I know. I went to the school with him. And I wanted to send him a Kiruv package because we were in touch uh, here and there. I saw him on Facebook or something like that and said, hey, listen, I knew he was not religious or anything like that. I said, hey, listen... I uh, can send you a Kiro package, maybe you'll learn a little bit about God, da 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 He goes, no, no, I'm, just, I'm not connected to any religion. And I, in essence, the conversation went to the point where I realized the guy's not even Jewish. But his name is Cohen. So, it's a, just because somebody's name is Cohen doesn't mean they're a Cohen, and also just because somebody says that their father was a Cohen doesn't mean they're a Cohen. So, that's one, one of the chasadim that Hashem is uh, doing for this uh, lowly generation that we live in, where uh, it could potentially be that the guy that's married to a non-Jew, uh, and or perhaps he's married to a convert, or he's married to a divorcee, he's married to somebody he's not allowed to be married to, could potentially be that he's really not a Kohen. So that uh, would be good news for him. There's actually a famous story about something that happened, where uh, Rabbi Mizrahi actually uh, heard it from him once. A guy wanted to marry um, a woman, and... Um, fell in love with her, everything was great, but uh, they started doing tshuva, and through tshuva, he realized that since she's a convert, and he's a Kohen, he can't marry her. Now, he's already been going out with her for three years. What, are you going to go leave her now? How are you going to leave her? What are you going to do? Started going to rabbis, 
One rabbi, another rabbi, another rabbi. Not allowed. Not allowed. Everybody's reading the same book. It's called Torah. Same book. But he's not looking for a rabbi. He's looking for an excuse. Not looking for some. Sometimes people ask questions not because they want the answer. Because they're looking for a tail. They're looking for a leniency. Somebody to give them their answer. Not the answer that's true. So one rabbi, two rabbis, three rabbis, four rabbis. Ring around the rosy. Rabbis, rabbis, rabbis. And now you can't find a rabbi. But he keeps doing tshuva, keeps crying to Hashem, da, 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 da. Anyway, as you would have it, one day he gets a phone call. His uh, father says, son, I need you to uh, come to the United States. Uh, I'm in the hospital and I'm in bad condition. He goes and he visits his father and uh, his father tells him, listen, uh, I have he has the machala, he has cancer. And they don't know how long I'm going to live. and uh, But uh, because I don't know, I have to tell you something. Yeah? Uh, I hope you don't hate me. But I tried doing my best, my best raising you. And uh, your mom and I really love you. And uh, we really tried our best. Just try to take this lightly. Okay, okay, but what? What happened? What? What? We're not really your parents. We adopted you when you were a baby. Now the father is expecting the kid to say, Abba, I can't believe you, liar! Ah! Ah! You know how these kids you always uh, they blame their parents for everything in the world? You liar! You lied to me! What difference does it make? They raised you, they fed you, they gave you clothes. What difference does it make if, they, if you came out of their body or not? All these kids go crazy at their parents that, you know, didn't tell them they had, So what? He adopted you, he raised you, he was a father to you. He, what difference does it make? Anyway, people look for excuses to hate someone. But this kid takes it differently. Instead of saying, you liar and you this, he surprises the father. What does he start doing? He starts screaming, yeah! he starts doing the uh, Breslov dance. He starts doing Breslov dance, Nachman, whatever he wants. He starts doing Chabad, Nachman, whatever you want. He's doing all the Hasidut. Rabbi Mir starts lighting candles. And the father doesn't know what's going on. Why is he doing I just told you I'm not your father. And he tells the father, you don't understand. My girlfriend and I, for the last few years, we started doing chuba, we keep mitzvot, but we realized that since she comes from convert, she's a convert, and so on and so forth, I can't marry her because I'm a Kohen, but now I'm not a Kohen. I'm adopted. You see? Shlomo HaMelech tells us that when a man does the will of Hashem, even his enemies will come say, I'm sorry. Next question. Yeah, yeah, yes, he was first and then you. Go. Uh-huh. The um, a person that's sinning intentionally, b'shogeg, obviously it's different. But if someone tells you you're not allowed to do something, and you still go against it, obviously it's not good. The fact that Hashem did a chesed by you, and in reality it's not a sin, it's not. It's, it's obvious. 
but it's still a problem. And the reason why it's a problem because there's a different sin you're committing by continuing to sin. And that sin is called going against the Chachamim. Going against the Chachamim is written actually in Proverbs uh, 28.9. It says, Someone that decides that he doesn't want to listen to Tamidei Chachamim, even when he prays to Hashem, it's considered disgusting. Why? You're going against my children, you're going against my leaders, you're going against my top soldiers. So what, when you pray to me, you want me to answer your prayers, you're disgusting to me. Why are you going against the people I put in charge? So when someone has such a great fortune that despite him intentionally going against the Chachamim, it's not a sin per se that he went against them because what he was doing was not wrong because he was not a coin, for example. He still gets a pro- he still has a serious problem with the fact that he went against the Chachamim. Next. He is not, he, his coin status is on suspension. Just like a Michalel Shabbat's Judaism is on suspension. Once he divorces that person, then he's able and does tshuva, complete tshuva, then he's able to come back to Kuala Israel with no problem. But until then, it's a serious problem. And uh, actually that Shailan tshuva that uh, Rav Ephraim is uh, going to publish in the book had to do with a Kohen that not only was married to a non-Jew, but the synagogue was actually using as the Baal Koreh to read from the Torah every Shabbat. Which means that every Shabbat I had to leave the synagogue. So we pray, Shachrit, we're praying the first Amidah, then they put this guy to be the Baal Koreh. I have to leave. Why I have to leave? You can't be in the same room. It's not that you can just sit there and do nothing. Oh, he's not, you have to leave. You cannot be in the same room when you reach from the Torah. So you can't be in a different room in the same building? I can go to a different building. I can't be there. I mean, I can't pray with them. As soon as he comes, be he's a Baal Koi, he reaches from the Torah, I cannot hear the words. Anyone, no one can read their words. So we had to, Mamash, fight with the rabbis to, not that they disagreed with the Alakha. There's no disagreement. This is what it says. Disagreement of how to enforce it. To tell the guy, listen, stop reading from the Torah. At the, okay, you don't want to kick him out of the synagogue? Fine, don't kick him out of the synagogue. Let him come, who cares? Stop having him read Torah for everybody because everyone thinks that he's reading the Torah on their behalf. He's taking them out of their, uh, you know, he's, he's doing it for them. He's not doing anything. No one's coming out of the Chovah because of him. And no one knows. No one knows. No, no one in the Kila actually knows. I found out through a different uh, situation. So... This is a uh, problem. Problem. Anything else? Um, yeah. Picking picking the right yeshiva is very difficult, and the reason why is because in order to pick a yeshiva, you have to know a few things yourself. You can't be a complete ignorant person and expect to pick the right yeshiva. And the reason why is because you need to know the curriculum. So you have to go meet with the rabbis and ask them, what's the curriculum? What are they teaching? What's the siddur? How are they teaching? When are they teaching this? When are they teaching that? Is there anyone that's, you know, they could, that could recommend a place that already graduated? Anything that's, any totzaot that you could talk to? 
someone that went there years ago and, you know, that could recommend the place. Not just the teachers that work there that get a salary or just the people that go there right now and perhaps like it. People that left. Uh, so you have to review the material. You have to try to see if you can meet someone that actually already went there. Uh, you have to talk to the rabbis and try to see who are going to be the teachers because the principal is usually a very talented speaker. And the people that uh, interview the parents are also usually very talented people, but they're not the teachers. You have to meet the teachers. Meet the teachers, try to see, is this teacher someone I want to meet, I want to teach my kid? I can tell you from my experience, for example, there was uh, one time someone asked me about this. And uh, they asked me, oh yeah, I'm sending my kid to so-and-so yeshiva. And I... uh, Something sounded, didn't sound so, I remember that name of the yeshiva somewhere. I wasn't sure where, where I heard the name. And then I remember, oh, my next door neighbor works there. My next door neighbor walks around with a mini skirt all day. In the previous house, not here, Baruch Hashem. Next door neighbor it's, doesn't know anything about modesty, doesn't know anything about anything. But she's a teacher over there. I don't want that teacher to teach my kid. So I asked, is this, is this the grade that I find out? Oh, listen, not only that's going to be the teacher. For me personally, I wouldn't send my kid to that. Why? I want a teacher that actually does what he says. So many of the places, unfortunately, they don't do enough scrutiny on the teachers. And pretty much anyone that wants to teach, there's a few yeshivot that I know of, uh, there's one specifically one in New York. Uh, honestly, I mean, I know at least a handful of teachers over there. They're not even religious. Forget about they're not knowledgeable. They're not even religious. Nothing. Zero. Nothing. They don't keep anything. But they're teachers. What are you teaching? So, you have to interview the teachers. You have to see who's going to teach. Maybe, I don't know, see if there's, you know, the events they have, the, uh, all these different things are good. But uh, you have to understand that people don't take the eternity of your kid as seriously as you do. So you have to invest some time, which is very difficult because you have to take off of work. You have to take off of the busy schedule. And if you have several kids, you have to figure out who's going to babysit and who's going to watch this one, who's going to watch that one. It's not easy what I'm telling you to do. It's not easy. No, we don't pretend that it's easy. It's also expensive. And you don't know, the good yeshiva is probably more expensive than the bad one. And they probably don't help as much financially as the bad one. And da, 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 da. And all the reasons in the world not to do it. Bottom line is, you have to find a way. It's better to not send the kid to school at all and teach him at home than to send him to a bad yeshiva. Even more so. I'll tell you something that's politically incorrect and I'm sure I'm going to get some hate mail for it. Arav Nisim again, Alava Shalom said, it's better that your kid die than you send him to public school. Do you understand the significance of of good education? Now, of course, there's always a diamond in the rough. There's always going to be one kid or two kids that went to public school and still came outside Yikim. What are you taking a chance for? Who are you going to take the chance with their neshamot? You're taking their neshamot, throwing up in the air. Why? Because you're saving 500 bucks a month? Or a thousand bucks or whatever a month. So that's the thing. People need to understand that you have precious souls that Hashem 
put in your hands, you have to take it, you have to take care of them. And if you can't afford it, keep them home. Find a way. Pray. Next. Yeah. Excuse me? Are you allowed to uh, adopt a non-Jewish kid if raising this non-Jewish kid is such to not having anything to do to Judaism put your natural born child in danger? Can you throw your kid off the roof just to see what happens? I'm asking. No, right? So you can't do it also. You can't put the kid's life at risk for any reason. There's plenty of people to adopt children. You don't need to adopt non-Jewish children. You should adopt only Jewish children. There's no reason to put your kids' lives at risk. Why? For what purpose? What's the purpose of the servant in the world? It's not a mitzvah. It's an avirah. You're putting, uh, you're putting uh, your, your son in danger. You're putting yourself in danger. Absolutely not. Yeah. Sometimes it's the other children. Sometimes it's the parent. Sometimes it's the brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's the neighbors. Sometimes it's some crazy psychopath that walks around a school. There's always something. And that's why it's very, very important to stay on top of things. And uh, put it this way. They uh, asked the uh, stipler Gaon. They said, Of course, Kudulador is one of the last ones that had Ruach HaKodesh. Ruach HaKodesh. It's really... Something extraordinary. You guys should have it. So, yeah, somebody walks into his yeshiva, he'd already start screaming if, he, if you already felt if they were Mechalel Shabbat. He didn't see them. He didn't have to see them. Walked into the building, Mechalel Shabbat, he started screaming, get out, get out, hater of Hashem, get out. So they asked him, Kvod how is it that, okay, he studied, everyone knows, there's many, many stories about the Stipe Lagaon. But your son, your son is Gdolador also. I mean, I could, it's not very common. Okay, the big rabbi, big rabbi. Sons are good, but not Gdolador. How'd you do it? What, you have a special power, a special deal? Did you give, what'd you do what uh, Adam Rishon gave seven years of his life? What'd you do? He says, you see your Sidu? You see your Sidu? Yeah, yeah, Kodara, you see Sidu. I filled many of those with my tears. To make sure I have a son like that. Sometimes the best answer is crying. To protect our children from all of these wolves. To protect all of our children from these wolves that dressed in sheep's clothing. Sometimes the wolves in sheep's clothing is the rabbi, Shem Rachem. Sometimes it's the brothers and sisters and the friends and the neighbors and the janitor and some psychopath. There's always something. You need to pray for our kids. You need to pray for our kids. That's the only thing. That's the only thing. But you have to stay on top of it. You will pray, obviously, for protection. And that's why I said that uh, this Tana Kadosh is telling us to pray for peace. That's part of it. Having peace that our kids are going to be okay. I mean, I'm telling you right now, Baruch Hashem, one of the biggest chasadim that Hashem is doing for me right now is I don't have to send my kids to school. I'm telling them, I'm dead serious. It's very, very hard. It's very hard for us because we don't know. Like right now, if I had to choose to send my kid to school, I don't know where I would send them. It's very hard. I'm not saying that everything is bad. I just don't know of anything that I would say. Ah, I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe there is. I personally, right now, I don't know. So, Baruch Hashem, Hashem is having chesed on me, only two years old. 
So the thing is, is that it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. You have to stay on top of it. It's not just money. It's not just a famous uh, rabbi started it. Famous rabbi, maybe it's Sadiq. What about the teachers? So you have to stay on top of it. You have to pray a lot. It's a mesirut nefesh. It's a much self-sacrifice to, to get your kids to just to stay religious. Somebody came to me the other day. He goes, ah, you know, I'm a little disappointed. My oldest kid, he's not uh, as big of a chacham as I thought he could be. You know, whatever, he's average. It's average. My youngest one, ah, he's okay, whatever. But he's not. Like He forgets a lot of things. And I look at him. You have no idea what you're talking about. The fact that your kids are even religious and keep Shabbat, you should praise Hashem for that. Chachamim, tzadikim, you're already asking for too much. Parashat Shavuah says, Katonti mikol hachasadim, mikol haemed, Hashem Yitbarach. Hashem Yitbarach did so much for Yaakov Avinu, but Yaakov Avinu, he deserves everything. But Yaakov Avinu says to Hashem, Hashem, you already did too much for me. Too much to such an extent that even asking you to protect me from Esav is too much. We didn't do half of what Yaakov is doing. But yeah, he was saying, no, Hashem, maybe my son's not smart enough. Maybe my son is not tzaddik enough. So it's a little silly. It's a little silly. Now the reason why we have all of these issues of thinking that we need more than we do has a lot to do with this Mishnah. We'll continue with the Mishnah and then we'll go back to questions. Because I think with the questions, we can go until tomorrow. So Rabbi Lazar ben, ben, um, Kapar was also the father of Bar Kapara, another very, very famous uh, Tana. And uh, he says that there's a few simple things that could literally, a person can lose their olamaba. Now, a person that has jealousy, there's a few different levels of it. The most extreme form of jealousy is somebody that's upset that someone else has something and they don't. Simple and to the point. He has a car, I don't. He has a big house, I don't. He has a wife, I don't. He has this, I don't. Since that's the worst level of jealousy. Worst. How many of us are innocent of this? Second, lesser degree of envy is someone that can't tolerate when other people have more. He also has, but they have more. He has a Mercedes or something, but the other guy has a Bentley. He has a Toyota, but the other guy has a Mercedes. He has a house, the other guy has a mansion. He has a watch, the other guy has a fancier watch. He has a wife, the other guy's wife is a few years younger, a few years prettier, and whatever, whatever. He has, Baruch Hashem, he has. But he's eating his heart day and night, because he has a little more. Shem Rachem. And the most tolerable level is someone that's jealous of his friend actually having and just wishes that he had it also. Natural jealousy that he likes and he has a nice house. I wish I had a nice house. Still jealousy. 
All of them are bad. The serious problem we have here is that just wanting someone something that someone has, just not because I'm I'm upset that he has it, because just I want it, that's also considered bad. But the sad reality is that most people are in the first class. Most people are upset that the other person has, and they don't. And this is the root of all the problems that have ever happened from Bereshit until today. You look at the entire Torah and you're going to find endless amount of stories that start with Kinah, that start with jealousy. Starts off with Adam HaRishon. Adam HaRishon, the angels in Shemaim looked at Adam HaRishon, they thought he was God. They thought he was God in human form. He was so big, so beautiful, so perfect, such wisdom that they could not even comprehend. They thought he was God. They were about to bow to him and that's when Hashem made him go to sleep. They knew Hashem doesn't go to sleep. Oh, it's not God. But they were so jealous of Adam Rishon, the Malach HaMavit said, I can't let this continue. I'm going to ruin it. I'm going to ruin it. Why are they so jealous of him? I'm going to ruin it. He went and ruined it. Became the snake. Became the serpent. You know the whole story. Made the woman sin. And then him sin. And then they were both kicked out of Gan Eden. Now, before they got kicked, after they got kicked out, what happened? That sons, Cain and Abel. What happened with the sons? Cain had half the world. Abel had the other half of the world. Who's better than you? You don't have to worry about a mortgage. You don't have to worry about banks calling you. You don't have to worry about insurance companies. You don't have to worry about yeshivot. You don't have to worry about nothing. You have half the world. Whatever you want is yours. No, 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 no. I don't like it. Why? He has two wives. I only have one. They were both born with twins. And in those times, obviously, since it's the creation of the world, Hashem allowed for a brother to be with his sister, if they're married. So Cain was born with a single woman twin, and Abel was born with two women, two girls twins, so it was triplets. Cain didn't like it. He has two wives, I only have one. I don't like it. Jealousy. Killed him. Killed him. You fast forward, you go to generation of Noah. Generation of Noah, what happened? All the tinofit, all the gonifis that happened in generation of Noah, not too different from today's generation. What happened? People started stealing each other's wives. Jealousy. Fast forward. Avam Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, each one of them had their own trials. You go to this week's Parashat Shavua. This week's Parashat Shavua. You have Yosef at Tzaddik. Yosef at Tzaddik. Only person in the entire Torah, Hashem says, he's a Tzaddik. Yosef at Tzaddik. Who's better than you? Hashem called you Tzaddik. Alvai Hashem will just call us, just come in. Just say, come in. Don't even say my name. Just come in to Ganeid and it's already enough. He says, Yosef at Tzaddik. This parasha, his brothers, also tzaddikim. This is a shvatim, this Am Yisrael comes from them. And it says, Yosef, 
ישראל אהב את יוסף מכל בניו, כן, כי בן זקונים הוא. So ישראל, יעקב, loved יוסף more than all of his other sons. Since he was a child of old age, meaning he was a Talmud Chacham. He had a lot of wisdom. And he made for him a, uh, a fine woolen tunic. And his brothers saw it that he, that it was him that the father loved the most. And the brothers hated him because of it. To such an extent that they couldn't even say hello. They hated him so much. Not they hated him, hey, listen, he's an Obama fan. He's a, 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 a you know, a Trump fan. No. The jealousy that the Abba loves him more than us, I can't stand it. Now Yosef was tzaddik and tamim. Yosef, God bless him, was tzaddik and tamim. He was little, young. So now, he didn't realize that his tzaddikim brothers could possibly hate him. So what did he do? When the father made him this special clothing, he would wear it and he would tell him, oh, look at the clothing I have. Look at the clothing I have. Now he's thinking they would be happy for him. Why would his brothers, Tzadikim Kedushim, why would they be upset? Be happy for me. Abba made me a special outfit. Look at the clothing I have. Look at the clothing. Yosef, what are you doing to yourself? What are you doing to yourself, Yosef? So we see that it's also here. Fast forward. Fast forward. Parol. Parol could not have enough. Could not have enough. Bilam could not have enough. But these are Reshaim. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have enough. Didn't matter what he had. Someone had something else, he had to have it. But these are Reshaim. It's not really good examples. What's a good example? Korach. Korach, Korach, Korach. Korach is a good example. Why? Korach was tzaddik. Shem Rechem. Korach was tzaddik. Korach was one of the Gdolei Ador before he went to Tarbut Ra'a. Korach knew the entire Torah. Korach was wealthy in Big Baal Tzedaka. Korach was Shevet Levi. He was one of the leaders. He was so big that he got 250 of the Gdolei Ador to sign off. Yes, we agree. We agree. We had a missionary want to come to a Beknesset a year ago. I went to Gdolei Adol to get a single signature. I think I had to give my heart. I had to put my heart on the table. I was like, hey, here's my heart. Give me the signature in exchange. For one signature, me. Who am I? Bechlas. I say, here's my heart. Hey, take the heart. Take this, take this. Okay, just give me one signature. Korach, 250 of the Gdolei Adol signed on the spot with no questions asked. For what? Not against the missionary. Against Moshe Rabbeinu. Against Moshe Rabbeinu that made all of them do tshuva. Moshe Rabbeinu, you're going against Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? Because I'm jealous of Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to be the leader. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu a leader? What? He's smart? I'm smart also. Why? He has money? I have money also. What? He's Shevet Levi? I'm Shevet Levi also. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu the, the, the leader? Why not me? Maybe, maybe he didn't really speak to God. Maybe God didn't really mean for him to stay the leader. Maybe this, maybe this. Why? Jealousy. 
And jealousy took Korach out of the world, and the Gemara in Masichet Sanhedrin says, Korach en lo chelek le'olam haba. No olam haba. Why? Jealousy. Simple jealousy made the ground open up and swallow him and his family, with the exception of a few of his kids, that did tshuva in the last minute, swallowed him and everything that belonged to him. Meaning, if somebody still continued holding on to any of his money, the ground swallowed him also just for, for holding on to anything that belonged to Korach. Why? Hashem hates jealousy. Hates it. So now, we see that there's literally endless examples in the Torah about how much Hashem hates jealousy. And the Chachamim say, Lotachmod, being jealous, is hated by Hashem to such an extent that anyone that's guilty of Lotachmod, you should question. You should question whether they're following that Torah at all. Why? Because if someone has this jealousy that gets out of control, it's very easy for them to violate all Ten Commandments. And there's actually a Gemara about it. There's a Gemara about it that uh, also in the Ochot Tzadikim talks about it. Ochot Tzadikim says that a, someone that's jealous leads a person to violate all Ten Commandments. And it gives a story. In Ochot Tzadikim, it gives a story of how somebody was what? Jealous of what? His next door neighbor's wife. Shem his wife was good looking and he saw it through the window over there and he said, oh, she's pretty. That's it. Nothing else. Maybe she's wearing a wig. Who knows? Says she's pretty. But every day he would peek in, peek in and see she's pretty, she's pretty, she's pretty. Okay, whatever. The guy is looking at a woman. Shem it's not good. But why you call him a rasha already? Says, yes. Why? Look what happened with the story. One day the husband left town. As soon as the husband left town, this guy that's peeking in from next door, no. So what does he do? He breaks the fence. Already, he's vandalizing, his, his, uh, he's violating the commandments, he's vandalizing his, uh, his neighbor's stuff. Next thing he does, breaks into the house. Next thing he does, rapes the wife. So now you've already violated a few commandments. Wife starts trying to defend herself. He kills her. Now you violate another commandment. And cops come in. Cops come in. People start screaming. Whoa, what's going on? He goes, oh, look what happened. Some murderer was here. And I just came. He just ran away. I just came. I tried helping her. I just came because I lent the husband some stuff. Some stuff for Shabbat. And I came to pick it up. And this is what I found. So now he's going against the Torah in every single way. So then they say, okay, we have to take you to trial. And he swears in the name of Hashem that this is what happened. From just looking at a woman that's not yours. Violate all ten commandments. Matter of fact, if you look at Rashid Chokhmah, I didn't really want to go over Rashid Chokhmah too much, but you should know that Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi in Perek Sheni of Rashid Chokhmah, Masechet Genom, 
he met with Eliyahu Navi. Eliyahu Navi came to him and he says, you want to see Gehenom? He says, yes. He tells him all the different things that he saw. The different things that he saw, but I'm not going to go into it now. I, don't want, I want you guys to sleep this week. But he says, And I saw some people that are hung from their eyes. Why? Go look at a woman that's not yours. Why are you looking? It's your wife? No, it's not. Why are you looking then? Why are you looking? Why are you looking at someone that's not your wife? You know, if you actually understood the deen in Shamaim, when you look at a woman that's not your wife, you would never look at another woman again. Never. If you have to have a conversation with a woman for whatever reason or another, you want to help her, she's a customer, or whatever, you look once to see who you're talking to, but look away after. Constantly. Once in a while you go back just to make sure that you know, she knows you're talking to her and so on, but as much as you can, pretty much 99% of the time if you can, don't look directly at her. Why? As a man, it's almost impossible for you to have a clean mind. Unless you're davuk for Hashem, unless you're glued to Hashem. It doesn't matter if she could be 95 years old, she could be 15, she could, anything. Anything. Your Yetzirah does not have limitations. Does not have limitations. Maybe thinking about what Rabbi Yeshua saw in Geinah, maybe it will help you a little bit. Break that rock. And it talks about, in Perik Shlishi, it says, three, go to Geinah and do not come back. Abal Eshet Ish is the first one. Someone that goes with a married woman, Geinom will end, but his Geinom will not end. So we're not going to go over anything else here. So I think it's scary enough for tonight. But the point I'm trying to say is that here you have all of these disasters begin with a simple look. A simple look at the grass on the other side. You know, there's a famous saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. The, end, the real question should be, why are you looking? Why are you looking at the other grass? Why are you looking on the other side? What difference does it make to you if he makes a lot of money? What difference does it make to you what his wife looks like? What difference does it make to you how much money he has, what car he has, what house he has? What difference does it make to you? Do you realize that you're killing yourself? By looking somewhere else other than yourself, you're guaranteed to lose. Guaranteed to lose. On one end, the most likely end, you're going to find something that he has that you don't. Because that's usually what the Yetzirah looks for. So his wife is ugly and yours is pretty, you're not going to care about that. His house is small and yours is big, you're not going to care about that. His uh, bank account is small and yours is big, you're not going to care about that. What are you going to do? You're going to find out, oh, one of his kids, tell me to come. And my kids are half retarded. Oh, psst. can't be, can't be. Now you're jealous of the kids. Now you have Aynara on his kids. Gemara says, 99% of people die from Aynara. 1% die from regular death. You look at his kids, say, oh, they're so smart, they're so smart, they're so this. My kids are not. You're putting Aynara on his kids. Why are you looking? Why are you looking? And that's the thing that a lot of people waste their lives. Mamash waste their lives looking at other people's lives. 
whether it's on social media, on Facebook, or uh, different things like that. And that's why I always tell people, if you're smart, don't ever put anything personal on Facebook. No pictures and no sayings. Really, you shouldn't be on it anyway. But whatever, if you're using it for good, to do Kiruv or something like that, fine. A, uh, it's, you're able to use it for good purposes, just like you can use a computer for good purposes in general, that you can use a car for good purposes in general, just like you can use a house for good purposes or bad ones and so on. But the point being is that to use any of these vehicles that Hashem gave you just to publicize things about your life is the stupidest things in the world you can do. First of all, you're leading other people to sin. If you're a pretty woman, even if you're an ugly woman, doesn't make a difference. You're showing yourself immodest. You're showing yourself in general. Someone's going to sin because of you. There's a very scary movie that came out recently, in the last couple of weeks, of a woman that had a near-death experience maybe some 10 years ago, or a little less than 10 years ago. She had a near-death experience. She was a Baal Tshuva, Bala Tshuva, that uh, she did Tshuva, and uh, she used to be a model when she was young. She was like 16 years old. She was a model. And then she started discovered Hashem and so on and so forth. Did Shuva, got married, um, had kids. And initially, she covered her hair with a mitpachat, with a kerchief, with a uh, tichel. And uh, everything was fine. But then, she started seeing, she moved to a new neighborhood, and she started seeing that this new neighborhood, also Haredim, also religious, but more people wearing wigs. So she decided, wait, this is allowed to wear these wigs? She decided, okay, I'll wear a wig. So she started wearing a wig, and she tells the story herself. She starts wearing a wig, and the wigs become more and more stylish. And she says, oh, the clothes become more and more stylish, a little tighter, a little this, a little shorter. She said herself, I started cutting my skirts a little bit, just an extra two inches. Why? I want to fit in. They were right, wearing it right to the knee. I'm wearing it right to my knee. They're wearing tight clothes. I'm wearing I'm, They're doing the Haredim their whole life. I'm just a Baal Tshuva. What do I know? Shem especially since the rabbi told her it's okay. Her husband told her it's not okay. But she said, no, but they both spoke to a rabbi. It was a, supposedly a big rabbi. And he said, no, it's okay. It's allowed. It's fine. Go ahead. Do it. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. It's fine. No problem. Yeah, we have uh, some rabbi sometime a million years ago said it's okay to put a straw in your head, but we're translating it to be hair better than what you have. Fine. Go. Okay. She did it. Little by little, life is good, she says. One day they decide to take a trip, like on a regular day, family trip. They get into a car accident. Her husband dies on the spot. One of her kids is in critical condition. One of them is, is saved miraculously and she's in critical condition. And she goes into a coma. And the coma continues, but over here continues. In Shemaim, something else going on, she says. In Shemaim, she goes to the Bedin of Shemaim. She, they start, she starts seeing things. And she starts seeing all these millions and millions of neshamot. Millions of neshamot yelling at her, you did this to us, we hate you, you did this to us, we sinned because of you, 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 da, da. 
It's like, I don't know why they're yelling at me. I don't know. She's crying. She's like, I don't know why they're yelling at me. It's so embarrassing. Millions of people are yelling at me. I, I don't know what I did. And then they show me a movie of my life and they show me me modeling and me today. And it looks the same. Me modeling as a 16-year-old and me with the wig and the tight clothes and it looks the same. And Shemaim didn't like it too much. They said, it's everything that happened started with your wig. Everything that happened is your fault. And she says, I took it and I cried to Hashem and I wanted another chance and when I realized that I actually died, I wanted another chance and Baruch Hashem, she got another chance and she says, I accept everything that I got with love because I know what actually happens out there and Hashem did a chesed for me for giving me another chance. The story is much more extraordinary than I tell you. She went to Rabbi Vadya, Allah Shalom, before he died. I mean, uh, this is again, like I said, like about a 10-year-old story or so, maybe even longer. And Rabbi Vadya says, you must publicize this to everyone. Now, I personally never heard it until the, the movie came out recently. And I'm telling you, if you don't cry hearing this story, you should double-check your pulse. You're probably not alive. I don't remember, but I'll, uh, I think it's something to do with a crown, something crown, something. Uh, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. I'll post it on. Uh, I'll post it somewhere. So, now, why did she start all of this? Why, why, why? What was what was wrong with the mitpachat? What was wrong with the the, the, the hat or the scarf and hat? What was wrong with it? Nothing was wrong with it. She saw the neighbor. She saw the neighbor wearing a wig, long, nice, pretty. This looks like a looks like she's sixteen year old model. She says, "Why should I wear the shmata on my head?" And she looks like she just came off the runway show. If it's allowed, I'm doing it too. Jealousy. Why are you looking? Why are you looking? So jealousy is literally the root of all evil. Every single sin you're ever going to make is usually going to start with your eyes, and that's the reason why Shemarachem. The Sfarim HaKadoshim say that the first thing that happens after a person dies, if they're wicked, the, the demons that come to punish him immediately, before he even gets to Shemaim, first thing they do is they break his eyes. Why? Because he violated what following his heart because he saw something. He saw something. Don't look. Don't look. Watch your eyes. And people really don't understand what it means to watch your eyes. In the Gemara, Masechet Shabbat, there's a few different things. In page 64, A, it says, Moshe Rabbeinu, when he saw the Am Yisrael come back from the war against the Midianites, he saw that they're bringing a korban. He goes, why are you bringing a korban? What, did you make another? This was after the whole thing that happened with Balak and Bilam. When Am Yisrael sinned with the, with the non-Jewish women and Hashem put a plague on, 24,000 of them died. He almost killed everyone. Then Pinchas came and killed Zimri and Cosby and stopped the whole thing. So Hashem says, now you have to go fight them. You have to go fight the Moabites. Why fight them? Go take revenge. Okay, so Am Yisrael, Tzadikim, Ditshuva, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu. They go to war, start killing people. Why? Because you made a sin. You almost killed the whole nation. Fine. 
They come back from the war after they won. And no one died. Why? They did tshuva. You do tshuva, Hashem fights the war for you. Adonai lachem lachem, v'atem techarishun. Hashem fights your war, you should remain silent. Meaning, you go with the spear, but in reality Hashem is shooting. You go with the tank, but in reality Hashem moves the bullets. You're not really, you're making it look realistic. That's all it is. So now they come back from the war, come back from the war. Moshe Rabbeinu says, what's this korban? You guys, all right, again made a sin. What, you go with the Midianites also, like you did with the Moabites? He goes, no, no, no. We didn't do it again. He goes, so what's the korban for? He says, because we looked. We looked at them. We looked at the truth. We didn't sin with them. We looked at them. We looked at them. So where's the get korban? You understand? Looking at them is a sin. Looking at them is a sin. Looking at the girl that's not your wife is a sin. Whoever gazes at even the little finger of a woman where her ring is, a wedding ring, it's considered in Shamaim as if he looked at the place of her nakedness. Don't think that just because it's her finger, it's no big deal. Oh, it's just because it's her face, no big deal. It's her ear, no big, it's her hair. Everything's a big deal. The entire woman is considered nakedness if it's not your wife. Stop looking. Stop looking at women that are not your wives. Why do you ruin your life? You must ruin your life. Why are you going to think about it all day? You're going to think about it all night. You're going to make sins. You're going to think... You're ruining your life. You're going to look at your wife, you're going to look at her. You're going to look at your wife, you're going to look at her. Once in a while, she's going to look better than your wife. Now what happens? You're going to start thinking, oh, he has, I don't. He has, I don't. Ruined your life. Mamash ruined your life. Yes. What if it's your married sister? It's your sister? Limit the amount you look at her. Limit. It's not to the same extent as a, uh, as a, a woman that's not related to you at all. But the Rambam uh, says in Isurei uh, Ve'ah that Alachai uh, is that uh, brothers and sisters that hug, it's allowed. But he says it's only a ma'aseti pshim. It's only the deed of stupid people. It's allowed, technically. Brother and sister are allowed to hug each other. But it's only stupid people do it. Why? Who knows? Who knows what you're going to think? Who knows what your Yitzhakai is going to think? Yeah, it's your sister, it's your brother, it's whatever. Who knows what's going to go on you? Why are you taking a chance? With your own sister. It says, Tipshim, Tipshim do it. It's his language. You should look at it. Look at it. He says, you should, Tipshim. So now, the reason why all of this is because of the very next thing that he says, it says the second thing that takes a person out of this world, Rabbi Lazar Kapar Omer, Desires. Desires, a person is constantly looking for more. But the Vilna Gaon quotes Mifchar Apninim, and he says that someone that follows his desires constantly, he wants a watch, he gets a watch. He wants a car, he gets a car. He got a car, he wants another car. He wants a house, another house. Every day, he has the money. There's no Baruch Hashem. He has no problem with Parnassah. But he buys whatever he wants. 
He has no problem with women. He gets whatever he wants. He has no problem with anything to get anything. But he keeps getting. He keeps getting. The Vilna Gaon, Allah Shalom says, we learn from the Gemara Masichat Sukkah, page 52, that indulging in your own desires is like drinking salt water. Why? No matter how much you drink, you're going to remain thirsty. And the Gemara Masechet Sukkah, page 52 says, Marivo Savea Masbio Raev. This is actually specifically talking about wasting seed. Shlomo Amelech says, you have a small organ in your body. If you starve it, you'll be satiated. You'll never go hungry. But if you feed it, you'll never have enough. What organ is that? It's not your mouth because obviously you eat. You'll be, you eventually get satiated. He says, it's your sex organs. Every single time you have uh, some desires in your head, you follow it, you're never going to have enough. You're never going to have enough. And that's why the Rambam specifically says that the most difficult desire to overcome is wasting seed for a man. Most difficult out of all desires in the world. It's the biggest addiction in the world to get over. Once you have the addiction, he says himself, it's almost impossible, almost impossible to stop. It's very, very, very difficult. Why? Because... To stop wasting seed requires multiple things. It's not just, you know, uh, stop looking at certain movies, but it's also you can't look at every girl that moves. You also can't go to certain places. You can't go to the gym and still remain a clean mind. Why? It's only a matter of time you're going to see someone that's not uh, dressed. So you can't go to the gym. You really can't go to a lot of places. Over here, Shem Echem, thank God we didn't move here. I came here the other day, uh, I thought I figured we'd go to the supermarket over here. I mean, people think that they're mamash on a, on a runway show, I had to look at the floor the whole day. I was looking, like, oh, salt, okay, salt, you don't know what to do, salt, like you're, looking, you're looking at the bottom of the bag, maybe it's salt, maybe it's sugar, maybe it's corn, who knows, just get it. You can't look, why? Everyone thinks they're in uh, Hollywood. Where? Supermarket, kosher supermarket. So, a person needs to understand that in order for them to overcome this addiction, requires a lot. Requires them controlling themselves as far as what they see on the internet. Requires them to control themselves as far as what they see outside. Requires them to control themselves of everything. It's not very, it's not easy. It's not impossible, but it's not easy. Now, the big desire that a lot of people have is money. I don't think a day passes and someone doesn't tell me, what do you think of Bitcoin? What do you think of Bitcoin? It's at this amount, it's at that amount. Is it a good investment? Is it a bad investment? Or they ask me about the stock market in general because the stock market apparently is in all-time highs. And they keep asking, what do you think of this? And 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 what do you think of this? Now, why do I tell you this? Because number one, I don't think about it. That's the good news. I don't think about it, I don't follow it, and really the only way I know what's going on is somebody's telling me. But the real important the real important part, how do I know? How do I know it's a bubble? I was in the business for almost 20 years. You don't need to, you don't need to know too much to know it's a bubble. And the reason why is because there's an old saying. When a taxi driver is, ask, is giving you stock tips, it's a bubble. 
when the average Joe is asking you if he should invest or he's telling you what to invest in, it's a bubble. The average Joe everywhere somehow is becoming an investor right now. Every guy that has 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000, all of a sudden is a guru. Wants to invest in the market, opens their own accounts, open their own days. Obviously, it's a 100% bubble. But no one wants to listen. No one cares what I say. Who cares? I don't even want to give the advice. I left the business for a reason. So now I'm going to do it for free. But why am I telling you this? Because the funniest thing, the funniest thing in the world, that's very sad though. It's funny, but it's sad. Is that every single time someone tells me, they ask me the question, what do I think of this and what do I think of this? They say, listen, if you tell me, I'm going to give myself. I'm going to give 10% myself. I'm going to give 10% to your Kiruv organization. You know, it's taka. Taka is important. Taka. I'm going to give myself. The guy sent me a text early this afternoon. He goes, listen, I, I know you're busy. I know your time is precious and all these nice... Uh, uh, generous uh, compliments I don't deserve anyway. And he says, listen, what do you think of Bitcoin? I'll show you the text. Mamash, I'll show you the text. There's no name on it, so you won't know who it is. You show you see the text. He says, no, and listen, I'll give you my sale. I'll give you 10% uh, my second. It's like, ah, it's Kiruv. If I make money, it's Kiruv. People could do Tshuva. All of a sudden, we all became Moshe Rabbeinu. All of a sudden, everybody became Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, the question I have for everyone, Everyone that says they're going to give Marcel if this happened. They're going to give Marcel if they become rich. They're going to give Marcel if they sell this house. They're going to give Marcel if they sell the property. They're going to give Marcel if uh, Donald Trump gives them part of his inheritance. They're going to give Marcel if the boss gives... Why did you give Marcel now? That's the question. The question they're going to ask you in Shemaim. When you get up to Shemaim and they start giving you... Why did you tell the rabbi you're giving Marcel? Why? Why are you a liar? Why are you a liar? Why are you a filthy liar? Who are you kidding? You think you're lying to me? Do you think I care? Bechlal? You have a problem in Shemaim, you filthy liar. You filthy liar. You have a problem in Shemaim. They ask you, why are you a filthy liar? Why are you telling people, oh, I'm going to give Maaseh, I'm going to give Maaseh. If you give Maaseh, give it now. Why are you giving it now? What do you need? What do you need more money to give Maaseh? What do you think? Only rich people give Maaseh. The number one donors in the world are poor. Every organization will tell you that. All of the big organizations, whether it's the idolatry organizations or it's Jewish organizations, Le'avdil, doesn't make a difference. The real bread and butter of all the organizations comes from basic people. Yeah, of course you're going to hear about the $100 million donation from this guy and the $100 million donation from that guy, but until they got to the $100 million, they survived from the average Joes. The average Joseph didn't wait to win the lotto to give them a sale. So what they're going to ask you in Shemaim, who are you kidding? Who are you kidding when you say, I have to, if, I, if Hashem gives me this, I'm going to do this. If I do this, what are you giving Hashem conditions? Hashem, if you give me a house, then I'll do Avdallah. Hashem, if you give me a uh, wife, then I'll uh, learn Torah. Hashem, if you give me this, I'll do this. Hashem, if you give me this, I'll do this. One time a guy said it, he says, Hashem, listen, you give me money, no problem, you give me a million dollars in the bank, make sure that my wife is happy, make sure the kids are this, make sure that I don't have any health problems, make sure that this, make sure this, make sure this, make sure this, make sure this, I'm going to go to call from morning to night. A butt call from Shemaim came out, I'm not interested. I have other people doing it for a thousand bucks a month. 
I don't have to give you, I don't have to give a million dollars. I have people doing it for a thousand bucks a month. What do I have to give you a million dollars for? Not interested. What are you doing, Hashem, a favor? Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? All these people are just, Mama is making a joke of the system. Oh, no, no, if you do this, I'm going to give you Maaseh. Wait, you need your Maaseh? Hashem will provide one way or another. But why are you lying for your own sake? For your own sake. Maybe, just maybe, if you think about it for a second, maybe the Maaseh today is worth a lot more in Shemaim than the Maaseh when you have 100,000. If you have 100,000 in the bank and you didn't give Maaseh, you should know you're a thief. Why? You didn't give $10,000. Now everyone thinks, myself included, when I used to have money, I was certain that I'm giving plenty. Sir, I was positive. Positive. I mean, I bought Sefer Torah. I would donate to a Bikneset anytime I saw it. Not that often, but every time I saw a Bikneset, checks, no problem. No, you know, I didn't have the bidding war. I didn't do, you know, they do bidding wars in, uh, in, uh, you know, in uh, Sephardic shuls. When there's aliyot, you know, you want to buy, this guy says 1,000, this guy 10, 000, uh, 5,000, 2,000, 3,000. There was no competition. Why? I just throw off a big number. And no one would compete with it. And he'll tell me, listen, what are you doing? You can compete. Maybe you get it for cheaper. I'm like, I don't care about cheaper. I just want to give. Tzadik, tzadik, whatever you want to say. That's, you know, there's compliments for somebody else. Point is, I didn't care about the money. I just wanted to give. I just wanted to give. And oh, no, you get a discount. Discount for what? Was it groceries? But the point is, is that I thought with that type of attitude, since I didn't really care about money much, to me it's just a tool. It's like a hammer. Anybody comes to my office, wants money, I give him money. Anybody needs a loan, I give him money. Anybody needs an investment, I give him money. I figured I'm giving plenty. You know what's the proof I wasn't? Proof, for sure. I know for sure I wasn't. I gave tons. I gave seven figures. You could do the math. Seven figures I gave, for sure. I'm not talking about I gave 10000 20000 I gave over a million dollars. Still not enough. You know how I know for sure I didn't give enough? I lost it. What's the guy? What's the what's the proof? Maaser v'titasher. You give maaser, you titasher. You give maaser, you become rich. There's no way you're going to give maaser and become poor. Nagdimon ben Gurion. Maaser says he's one of three people that Hashem stopped the sun for him. One time, there was a journey they would have annually. All the tzaddikim from different parts of the world would come visit, and he would host them. But you need to supply these people with water. So he went to a uh, Arab and he said to him, "Listen, I need the water. The wells that you have, all the wells that you have, you have twelve wells. Give me the water." He goes, I give you. "Why would I give you my water? I need money. I need this." He goes, "Listen, you're going to be provided with the water. I'll pay you, but I need it right now." Long story short, he says, "Listen, I'll give you four wells back, whatever you're giving me right now with the water. On this specific date, it's going to be exactly as you gave it to me." As if nothing changed. And if not, I'll fill up all of the wells with gold. That's how much money he had. It was just not possible to get other water. So it's a good deal. A time goes by. The day of the return comes back. There hasn't been rain. There hasn't been a drop. And the wells are empty. The Arab sends a servant laughing his way to the bank saying, Oh, okay, stop filling them up. 
Nagdimon says, hold on a second, I said I'm going to pay you at the end of the day. Because at the end of the day, if it starts raining right now and it stops tomorrow night, it's still not going to be enough. He goes, don't worry, I have a deal, I'll honor the deal. But the deal's not over yet, until the end of the day. Nagdimon ben Guyon goes into the Bet HaMikdash. I didn't do it for me. I did it for your children. Why do I have to pay your, your loan? It started drizzling. Drizzling. Not enough. Afternoon came. The Arab comes back. He goes, no, come on. What, you think this drizzle is going to do anything? Nothing is going to happen. Hold on a sec. He goes back to Bet HaMikdash. Starts praying again. Hashem Barach. We need more. We need this. Da, da, da. Long story short, it starts raining. And it fills up the wells. Now the guy, the Arab says, sends the guy, he says, listen, yes, your God obviously is the greatest God, but I still have a problem with your God. He goes, why? My deal was that I'm going to get the wells back by the time that the sun went down. Before the sun went down. By the time the wells were actually full, the sun went down already 15 minutes. Nakdimon ben Gurion said, one second. He goes back to the Bet Mikdash. He says, Hashem Itbarach, there's a chilul Hashem now. He says that we broke the deal because of 15 minutes. Hashem took the sun back and put it back in the sun. Put it back in the sky. For who? For Nagdimon ben Gurion. So it's not like some average Amaharez didn't know anything. Tzaddik, Ashir, and everything else. One day Rabban Yochanan sees his daughter looking at, into the tzoah, into the waste of the chamorim, of the uh, donkeys, of the Arabs. He says, who are you? He goes, oh, I'm looking for food. Goes, what are you looking for? He goes, oh, I'm looking for grains of wheat that the, that the donkeys didn't digest. Because whose daughter are you? He says, I'm the daughter of Nakdimon ben Gurion. He says, how could it be? Your father's a big Baal Chesed, Zashir, he's a big, very rich. How is it possible? She says he used to be rich. He used to be Baal Chesed. He lost everything. Rabban Yochanan says, how could it be? He gave a lot of tzedakah. And the daughter herself says, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. You think that your little $50 that you gave and your $100 that you gave and $200 that you gave is not a big deal? If it's Maaser, it's enough. If it's Maaser. If it's not Maaser... Even if it's a million dollars, not enough. Maaser works off of the gross. Now, weak generation, the way usually most people start is they give off the net. But the real mitzvah is giving off of the gross. You make $1,000 from wherever you work, they pay you $1,000. Before you pay in your, your expenses, your house, your mortgage, your this, your that, you have to pay $100, 10% of that $1,000 as maaser. That's the original mitzvah. Some people that are tzaddikim give 20%. Chomish. Meaning you get a thousand, they give two hundred dollars. Twenty percent. But the mitzvah is ten percent. Now, this weak generation, most people don't even give the ten percent. So usually what people do to get them to get, to get started, it's not the full mitzvah, but it's nonetheless it's something, is to give the ten percent off of the net. Meaning after you pay your expenses. So you made a thousand your uh, rent or mortgage was 500 your food was another 300 you have, let's say, $200 left profit, you give 10% of the 200 that's left. So it's now $20.
It's not really ma'asel, but it's at least something. It'll get you used to giving. And that's the key that people need to understand is that when Hashem gives you 100%, He's expecting 10% back. You don't want to do it? That's a problem. That's a problem you have to deal with. Now, the main reason of why people don't want to give is because their ta'ava, their lust, their desire for money is more significant than their own life. And the Gemara even says that there are many people that love their money more than they love their own life. There's a guy, a very sad story. Very sad story. But it's becoming more and more common. The guy I used to work with was a client of mine. Very nice guy, older guy. Made a ton of money, made a fortune. Had a big business. And he gave parts of the business as he was getting older to his sons. And as he got older, he figured that you know his sons will continue running the business and so on and so forth. But one day, it's a little difficulty in his part of the business and he asked the son for a loan. So he says, no, why would I give you a loan? You're my competition. I gave you the business. You remember? Ten years ago I gave you the business? You remember you menuval? You remember you kfuy tova? You, you disgusting human being? You ungrateful human being? You remember I gave you the business ten years ago? You remember? I, I gave you the business ten years ago. You remember? Ten years ago. You remember? No, no, you're my competition. You're my competition. You remember fifty years ago when I changed your diapers? You remember that? That's what they're going to show you in Geinom. Only they're not going to change your diapers. A son that does not help his father has no share of nothing. Not this world or the next. You should be willing to die for your father. You should be willing to die for your mother. Die, die, mamash die. Why? They give you life. They gave you life. How are you going against them? How? How, how can you go against them? Unless they're Rishayim, unless they're going against Hashem, it's a different story. They're normal people. They ask you for help, they ask you for a loan, they ask you for whatever, they ask you to change a tire, they ask you to call them once a week, they ask you for anything. Why can't you do it? Why can't you do it? The guy had a dog food business, and it got to such an extent that he stopped talking to his own father. Stopped talking to him. Didn't want to talk to him anymore. Why you didn't want to talk to him? Because the father says, the reason why you don't want to help me is because your wife, your wife knows I don't like her and she doesn't want to help. The good news is the father had a few million dollars somewhere else and he fixed the business anyway. But the point is, is that people love money so much they forget who gave it to them. They love money so much they forget everything. Forget their own parents. They gave you blood. They gave you life. They changed your diapers. They fed you. If they ask you to jump off a roof, you should consider it. But you don't want to help them. Why? Maybe, maybe he's going to take what's mine. Now you should know. If you believe that if someone opened a store next to you, 
if someone opened, you have, let's say, a jewelry store or a candy store or a whatever store, bookstore, any store, and someone opened a store right next to you, not next door, uh, down the street, right next to you, mama's next to you, so there's no doubt it's competition. No doubt. If you believe for a moment that he's going to steal your parnasah, you are 100% a kufel. It's kfirah in Hashem. Why? You think he's in charge of parnasah? You think he's in charge of what Hashem's going to give you? You think he can get in the way of the hand of Hashem? Where'd you learn your Torah? In a garbage pail? Where's your Aymunah from? The, 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 the uh, Christians? You think you can take your parnasah? But people don't think about things like this. Why? Money blinds them. Blinds them, makes them deaf, makes them stupid, makes them forgetful, makes them everything. It says in the Torah. So the ta'ava of money, it's one of the worst things you could possibly have and if you don't control it, it becomes mamasha disease. And the last one is kavod. Glory. Arav Desler, Alav Shalom built a huge yeshiva, very successful with a lot of Talmidei Chachamim in England. And one day he was asked to become a Rosh Yeshiva in Ponovich. Ponovich was just starting out at the time. It wasn't a big, huge Talmidei Chachamim. So now, why are you going to leave your yeshiva you built after a couple of decades? You're going to leave that to go with a bunch of starters in a different country, in a different place? Why would you do it? All the kavod you're getting is not because of the new students. You're getting because of the old students. Look, at this one wrote a book. This one wrote three books. This one's a teacher. This one's a rabbi. This one's this. That's the kavod. 20 years you're working for it, right? Rav Desler left on the spot. Why? He says someone that does Ratzon Hashem runs away from kavod. He goes looks for new students. Not for the students that already accomplished that he gets all the kavod from. Rather, he replaces them with the students that not only you don't get kavod for, they give you headaches. You help them do tshuva, they go against you anyway. No, they don't, not, they don't forget donate, they become your enemies, they make videos against you. That's what you look for. You look for, for those students. Why? It's Ritzon Hashem. You're not doing it for them. You're doing it for Hashem, your Father in Heaven. You're doing it for your Father in Heaven. Don't be kfuy tova, look for kavod too. The fact that you're alive is already enough chesed that you got from Hashem. People look for kavod non-stop, amash non-stop. And that's the huge, huge amount of disasters in the world happened because of kavod. Someone went to Rabbi Zusha. The head of rabbi at the time of the city came to Rabbi Zusha. And he says to him, Kvodarav, tell me your secret. How are you so always happy? Why are you so happy? He says, well first, I'm going to tell you why you're not happy. And then I'm going to tell you why I'm happy. He goes, I didn't ask you why I'm not happy. I'm asking you why you're not happy. He goes, I'll tell you. Because see you, Rabbi Zuzur tells him, because you are the head rabbi of the city. You're the head rabbi. You get an invitation for a wedding. Right? Yes. You went to the wedding. Yes. Now you're expecting that now you had rabbi of the city, you got invited to the wedding, you're going to get, you're going to do the chupan kiddushin. But then you don't. They don't invite you to do chupan kiddushin. So you say, oh, they're not going to give me chupan kiddushin, so at least I'll be one of the witnesses. There's two witnesses. I'll be one of the witnesses. But no, they pick two other people. 
Okay, I'm not going to do it with the witnesses, but at least I'm going to be one of the people that does Sheva Bachot. But no, you don't do Sheva Bachot. They pick someone else. Oh, so I'm not going to do that, so at least I'm going to be the one that does uh, Bikat Amazon. I'll do the Zimun. And no, they pick someone else. So your entire life is full of disappointments. He says, is that right? He goes, it's exactly right. He goes, so why are you happy? He goes, because I was also invited to the wedding. And me, when I got invited to the wedding, I don't know why they invited me, Bichlal. Who am I that they're inviting me? I thought it was a mistake. So I came and I said, oh, you invited me to the wedding. I just want to say hello, but maybe you didn't. So don't feel obligated. No, 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 Kvodarav. Come, do the chuppah. I said, me, do the chuppah? Such a surprise to me. Who am I that I'm going to do chuppah? Oh, okay, I'll do chuppah. And oh, be the, be the witness. Me, be the witness. Wow, you want me to be the witness? Oh, I'll be the witness. Oh, and also do the, be the, the, the blessings. Me, do the blessings. And me, do the zimun. And me, all these things are surprised to me. I don't know why they're giving me all this honor. You think that you deserve everything. So your life is full of disappointments. Me, I know I don't deserve anything. So anything that I get, I'm excited about. Anything I get is a chesed mashem. Why? I don't look at the grass being greener. I don't look at the grass at all. Whatever Hashem gives me, I'm happy. But you're constantly chasing kavod. You're constantly respect and respect and respect and respect. No one's ever going to give you enough respect. No one's going to give you enough. Why? Because you think that you're much more than what you really are. No one agrees with what you think you are. Even if you are what you are, it doesn't make a difference. No one agrees with it. You're always going to be disappointed. And that's the truth. That's the truth that people need to realize that these three things are three things that literally ruin lives day after day. It's very simple things. We talk about jealousy. Who doesn't have it? Who doesn't know about it? You don't need a definition. You don't need to look up uh, define jealousy on Google. Everyone knows what jealousy is. Everyone knows what lust is. Everyone knows what desires are. You don't need a big chacham to tell you, oh, lust means... This. You don't need nothing. Everyone knows. When I say desires, everyone knows what it means. Desires for money, desires for women, desires for this, desires... Non-stop desires. And everyone knows how many homes have been broken because of kavod. Why? I'm not calling him. He's going to call me. Why can't you just call him? You have a phone. Call him. No, no, no. I'm waiting. He's going to call me. I'm older than him. I'm this than him. I'm this. Everyone's waiting for the call. Why? Kavod. Oh, no, no. I'm not marrying to their family. Why? Look at us. We are rich. We are this. We are this. Everyone wants kavod. Everyone wants kavod. Everyone wants honor. They want to be better. They want to be this. Why? Why do you want so much kavod? Who are you? Do you realize that one day you're all going to end up in the same nine-foot hole? Then I can explain it. And the Rambam says in the Chotshuva, so long as you have love for anything else, including yourself and your own honor and your own desires, you will never have love for Hashem. Why? There's no room. There's no room for anything else. There's no room to love Hashem if you love your own honor, if you love your own desires, and if you love what the other guy has. 
There's no room for Hashem. There's no way you can make it. If Mashiach comes right now, there's no way, unless you start controlling yourself. Any questions? Undeserved kavod depends. If he's getting the kavod for the Torah, obviously it's one thing. If he's getting the kavod because of some skill set that he has, it's another thing. It also depends on who's giving it to him. Meaning, if, let's say, for example, you have a student that's giving you honor because you just taught him Torah, at one end, depends if the student understands what humility is. Today, people think that humility means that you have no confidence. They don't understand what humility is. So when someone says, no, I don't deserve it, like, oh yeah, he probably is right, he doesn't deserve it. So people don't have a hard time understanding what humility really means because it's so far away from what's being taught in schools today. Secular, religious, and irrelevant. Um, so depends who the audience is. In general, in general, rule of thumb is you should run away from kavod. You should run away from all honor. Meaning somebody gives you a... Uh, any type of compliment, in general, you should it should really make you cringe. Why? Because when you really think about what they said, in reality, you don't deserve it. It doesn't matter what it is. In reality, whatever they told you, they could tell you're smart, you don't deserve it. Why? It's not your intelligence. It's not your intelligence. Hashem gave it to you. Tell you're rich, it's not your money, He gave it to you. What are you so proud? It's not, nothing's yours. So what are you so proud of? The Ramban, in Igeret Ramban says, being arrogant is like stealing the king's robe and pretending you're the king. Okay, you could, you may be wearing the king's robe right now, but it's not here. You're not the king. It's a joke. It's almost a joke. What are you so proud of? So in reality, when someone gives you honor, it should make you cringe. It should make you feel uncomfortable. If it's not making you uncomfortable, at the very least, you shouldn't necessarily agree with them. You should always... Always, always, always reply with Baruch Hashem. All is from Hashem. It's not me, it's Hashem. Always look for an opportunity to sanctify Hashem's name, even if the other person doesn't understand it. If he doesn't understand it, you should probably find new friends. But anyway, you should in general uh, remind people that everything and anything that you have comes from Hashem and nothing is from you. Not your intellect, not your looks, not your bank account, not your wife, not your kids, not anything. Nothing is you. Nothing. Zero. And that's actually the next Mishnah talks about it specifically. And I'll just mention it briefly. Briefly this part. And it just reminds us of something that none of us really understand. Yet, it says that when somebody leaves this world, they become aware. What do they become aware of? He's the fashioner. He's the creator. He's the discerner. He's the judge. He's the witness. He's the plaintiff. He's the, he's, he will be judged. Uh, he will be uh, the judge also. He doesn't forgive. There's no favoritism. There's no bribery. Everything is his. Everything is in according to its reckoning. And so on and so forth. So this Mishnah is heavy. The next one is very heavy. And uh, the point being is that when a person really truly understands, at least to the level that they can understand, the role of Hashem in the world, they should never feel comfortable with any compliment. Because they would know that it's not them anyway. So really, the closer you are to Hashem, the more uncomfortable, and in some cases embarrassed, you feel when people give you compliments.
should make you feel a little uncomfortable. Why? Because it's a joke. And uh, uh, one of the uh, famous stories about Rav Ovadia is that uh, one time he went to give a lecture and uh, he didn't know that the microphone was on. Maybe 25,000 people in a stadium. And he came with a helicopter and uh, this was during the Asai uh, Mechuva. Uh, and um, he didn't know the microphone. He sat down, came, sat down. And he didn't know the microphone was on, but he was mumbling something to himself and he didn't realize that everyone was hearing him. What was he mumbling? It's disgusting to Hashem anyone that has a raised heart, meaning anyone that's arrogant. Anyone that's arrogant is, is disgusting in the eyes of Hashem. Over and over and over again. Meaning, don't be disgusting to Hashem by actually thinking that what the kavod they're giving you right now, 25,000 people, is real. It has nothing to do with you. The knowledge is not yours. The intellect is not yours. The Torah is not yours. Nothing is yours. You're nothing. This is the Gdola Do. Just to remember that verse by heart. Next. Addiction of iPhones. Um, well, I mean, first off, I mean, listen, first off, a person needs to ask themselves why they have it, why they're using it, for what, what purpose does it have. If it's simply for calling Ima and Abba and your work, then you don't need it. If you need it for work purposes, it helps your business. You do Kiruv, let's say, or you have a business that requires it for whatever reason or another. That's a different story. Then you ask yourself, do I need this or can I get something that's, you know, something different? If it's a, uh, you need it for business and it's this version, then you have to censor it. Censor it. Uh, there's different softwares you can use. There's different softwares you can use to censor it so at the very least you don't go to these different websites and see different things that can, you know, torture you at night. Um... But even more than censor, because even censor, if you have a strong enough desire, you'll break the censor too. The reality of it is, is that not putting yourself in front of, in front of, don't make, don't make it so easy for yourself to sin. So if you can, make different hurdles for yourself. So for example, don't download any of these apps, whether it be Facebook or it be Twitter or any of these other things. Don't download them automatically if you don't use them for something that's productive for, 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 your, your real life, not just, you know, if you're posting your pictures on the internet, you shouldn't be on the internet. So, first thing is, is don't download them automatically. Second thing is, you should put a hurdle. Give the code of the phone to somebody else. So, before you download, so if you have a Yetzirah, I want to download, I don't know, one of these uh, sites, you have to ask that person the code. So, that already slows down. That already slows down your progress. And you feel kind of, oh, maybe I can't reach them. Maybe I can't reach them, but they can ask you, okay, what do you want the code for? I want to see it. You know, you have somebody that's like following up with you, especially if you're young. Uh, your desires when you're young is much more difficult to control when you get, than when you get older. Uh, you can put a, you know, put some, give the code to somebody else. You can give a, uh, access to somebody else, meaning don't have a code yourself. Anyone that picks up your phone can see what you have on your phone. Things like that you can do. Uh, but really, the most important question is to ask yourself, why do you even have it? 
What are you using the iPhone for? Are you using it to sanctify Shem's name? Or using it to look at pornography? Are you looking? Are you using it for something that's the toilet to, to, that's useful in the world? Or are you using it so you can buy stuff on Amazon.com? Now, the reality is, is that this technology is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. I know in the previous generation, it was a very big thing to go against televisions. If people found out that you have a television in your house, they could even throw your kids out of yeshiva and uh, they throw you out of the kilah. It's almost like it, it turned from uh, having a television in a religious community was worse than Michalel Shabbat. Today, in certain parts of Israel, it's the phone. In certain communities, if you walk around with an iPhone, they'll actually take the phone. They'll rip your phone out of your hand and they'll smash it on the floor, break your phone, which they're not allowed to do. And in many cases, they'll actually embarrass you in public, which they're not allowed to do, because even if you're using the phone for the worst possible thing, you're looking at pornography, let's say, chas v'shalom, it's still not as big of a sin as them embarrassing you in public. But that's people that are just foolish, do things like this. So, most important thing is, is to have a steady shiur about, steady musar shiur about Yirat Shamaim to constantly remind yourself that eventually you're going to have to pay the bill, to learn extensively about Midat din to learn extensively about what it means to leave this world, what it means to pay the bill, what it means, schal and onesh, um, because in the Gemara Masechet Brachot, it says when somebody is, uh, uh, gets to a point where they're about to sin, Yetzirah comes to them, first it says, remind themselves there's a God. If that's not enough, go and learn Torah. Meaning, remind, remind yourself what it says in the Torah about doing what you're about to do. If that's not enough, remind yourself of the day you're going to die. And that's it. It doesn't say anything after that. That's the end. Why? Because if you really truly think about the day you're going to die, it'll stop you from every single sin you have. Now, most people don't understand what it really means. So just think about that you're going to have to pay the bill. You have to show up in front of Hashem Barach, but before you show up, you have to go to the Bet Kvarot. You have to go to Kadisha to pick you up, and they have to clean you. And this is one of the most awful things, but it has alachot. They take the body, and they clean the waste out of the body. And they come out from the same place that you take out the waste, that's where they take the waste out from. Why? So the body doesn't smell right away, and so on and so forth. So just think that this body is so excited about, and you're celebrating over, and you're going to become just this little piece of meat. But, the Sfarim HaKtushim says, and that's actually what it says in next week's, uh, in uh, the, the next Mishnah, it says the dead will live again. Amitim lachyot. It's not only referring to Tchiyat Amitim. It's also referring to Midat Adin, when someone dies, even though you don't see that it affects them, the Neshama actually feels the pain. So when someone sins and he starts thinking about what's going to happen after they die and it gets to, to the real details of it, to the real crunks of it, it'll stop you from every sin. If you're still sinning, that just means you haven't studied enough. So there's a few things you can do to discourage yourself from sinning. Uh, and uh, these are just some of them. Next. Next. 
פת שחרית. You don't get sick by eating bread. If it makes you sick, then you're not allowed to eat it. So here's the thing. The only reason why a person thinks that they need to eat a certain type of food, they need to eat steak at least once or twice a week, they need to eat, I don't know, fettuccine Alfredo once or twice a week, they need to eat this type of food and that type of food. They need to wear a certain type of clothes. They need to wear only certain brands, only certain costs. They're never going to wear a tie that costs less than X amount of money. They're never going to wear a suit that's less than X amount of money. They're never going to drive a car that's cheaper than an X amount of money. They're never going to live in a house that's worth less than X amount of money. They're never going to live in a community, chas v'shalom, that's less than X amount of money. The only reason is because they're looking for kavod. The only reason is because they're looking for honor. They're constantly looking at the Joneses. They're competing with the Joneses. That means they're very, very, very far away from Hashem. Very far away. So if you think that you need to pursue all of these material things, you need to have a certain car and a certain house and a certain watch and a certain neighborhood and a certain food and a certain everything else, you're still far away. And that distance is making your Torah learning very difficult. Why? There's so much emotions are spent on this material, you're leaving very little emotions for Hashem. You can't love Hashem and money. It's not possible. You can't love Hashem and food. Not possible. Again, I'm not talking about nothing. It's not like zero or a hundred. Meaning, if you're looking for a hundred percent Love of Hashem, it's not possible for you to have a love of anything else. Now, you could potentially love food 50% and Hashem 50%. You could love money 50% and Hashem 50%. But it cannot be complete. It's always going to be, it's, one is always going to take from the other. One is always going to take from the other. So, as far as thinking that you need to eat a certain type of food, you need to eat to survive. In reality. You need to close just to look honorable. Obviously, you don't necessarily uh, need to get to a point of, uh, you know, wearing a sack all day and uh, rip clothes. You're not even allowed to. Gemara specifically says, if you leave the house, in the second Shabbat, if you leave the house, Talmit Ham leaves the house with a stain on their shirt, has no olam haba. Why? People are not going to be able to learn from such a person. They have a stain on their face, on their shirt, or somewhere else. They're not going to learn from such a person. You lead people to sin. So you have to look honorable. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have to wear an Armani suit for $3,000. That doesn't mean that you have to wear a custom-made suit for X amount of money. I only wear these suits because I have them on Wall Street. If I had today, I couldn't afford any of these suits. So the point is, is that you have to know where you stand. As far as car, same thing. As far as house, same thing. It's all based on why do you have all these things. Now, no one says you have to you know, uh, belittle yourself and dishonor yourself. That's actually a sin. But at the same token, you always have to ask yourself, why do I want all this stuff? Why do I want $10 million? Oh no, I'm going to give tzedakah. Forget the tzedakah. Why do you want the $10 million? If you want to give tzedakah, give all your money now. You don't need $10 million. Why do you want the money? Who are you kidding? Why do you want $10 million? Oh, I have a fancy house. What do you need a fancy house for? So I have guests. You can have guests now in a four, four, 
four bedroom apartment, three bedroom apartment, one bedroom apartment you have, you could have guests now. No, I'll have more. How many more are you going to fit? You need a $10 million house for. Get a hotel then. What do you need a $10 million house for? For what? To show off? You're far away from Hashem. Oh, I want a Bentley. Why? Oh, it's Kiddush Hashem. How is it Kiddush Hashem? Do you have a Bentley? Oh, it shows Jews are rich. You don't need to be uh, rich to be Kiddush Hashem. You need to learn Torah to do Kiddush Hashem. Why do you want all this stuff? Why do you want all this money? For what? Oh, the gifts like I gifts like I now. I only make $100 a week. Okay, so give 10% of $100. I can give more. We don't need more. We need $10 now. Hashem doesn't need your million dollars. He needs the $10 now. Can you give $10 now? Oh, I don't know. Okay, you're full of it. You're full of it. You're full of it. That's really the reason. You're full of it. Somebody came to Rabbi said to him, Pray for me that I win the lot of $10 million. No problem, I'll pray for you. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. Week comes back, he didn't win. No, what's going on? No, he said, I give you 50%. 50% I'm giving to the shoe. $5 million. We give it to the shoe. It's a $10 million prize. Okay, okay, I'll pray, I'll pray. He prays, he prays, he prays. A week passes by, nothing. Look for the Rav. $5 million. You have to pick it up. Get the Avrichim to join. Da, da, da. A month passes, no win. He says, okay, for the Rav, I'm leaving. He goes to the church across the street. Hey, uh, your uh, priest, can you pray for me to win the lotto? I'll give you 50%. No problem, pray for you, next day he wins. Next day he wins. $10 million, clears the bank, he gets a car, he gets one of these fancy schmancy cars, and he drives one of his friends in his new car, and then he passes the uh, church and the synagogue, and he starts laughing. And his friends ask him, why are you laughing? He says, ah, the God of the Jews knew I was lying. That's why he didn't pay me. You want to give tzedakah? You don't have to be a millionaire. You give $10 now, give $10 now. You give 1000 now, give 1000 now. You give 10000 now, give 10 You don't have to be a millionaire. Whatever you have, give now. Because the reality of it is that if you want more, ask yourself why. Why do you want more? Why? Why do you want $10 million? Why do you want more money? For what? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to eat it? What are you going to do with the money? What are you going to do with it? I'm not saying go be, start collecting change in the streets, be homeless. But what do you want so much more material for? For what? A guy uh, helped me out. We had a uh, car, used car we sold. I knew he uh, was struggling a little bit. So I told him, take the money and give it to me whenever you have. Whatever, you sold the car, take the money. And give it to me when you have. He goes, no, you need it. I'm like, I don't need it now. He goes, no, but when you need it. I'm like, when I need it, I'll ask, but I don't need it now. What am I, collecting money? What am I going to do with it? What are you going to do with the money? What do you want $10 million for? Now, of course, $1,000 test is a very easy test. But the point I'm trying to make to you guys is that you keep asking Hashem. Every time you pray, you ask for more. You ask for more. You ask for more. You ask for more. For what? What are you asking for more for? What are you asking for more? Don't get like this client of mine, former client of mine, Baruch Hashem, that got to such a point that he wasn't even willing to, he loved money so much, he wasn't willing to help his father. His own father, he wasn't willing to help, Menuval. Did he lose, I know he lost his sanity. I don't know if he lost his money, I mean, I'm out of the business, I haven't done business with him in a long time. 
but I stopped doing business with him, and uh, he's a pitiful human being. But uh, as far as uh, as far as what happened, I don't know. As far as what happened to him at the end, I'm sure he still has a lot of money, but Allah uh, by he won't. The point is, is that people get too too worked up, too worked up on material, too worked up on the stuff for the wrong reasons. You're asking for you're asking Hashem to give you poison. Give me more money. Okay, you have a reason? Oh, I'm going to give tzedakah. Give tzedakah now. What else you want money for? Oh, give me more money so I can be happy. You can be happy without money. If you have one real reason of why you want money, real reason, then ask. But until you do, stop asking. It's poison for you. Because as long as you don't have a real reason, it's poison. If you have a real reason, it could be a, a cure. You want to build the yeshiva? Fine. You want to, I don't know, uh, whatever you need. If it's a real reason, fine. But if it's to buy a fancy schmancy car, if it's to show off to the next girlfriend, if it's to uh, you know build a bigger house so you could show that you have you know more success and so on and so forth, then in essence you're asking Hashem to give you poison. Why would a loving father give you poison? Next. Not following. Like, how, how do you uh, how do you explain to somebody that really lives well in America because of Hashem? Well, everything's really run by Hashem in the world. Like, it really seems. Like do they believe in Hashem? Well, I mean, the Sfarim Kedushim says that Hashem sent us in Book of Deuteronomy. Actually, says that Hashem is going to send us to the four corners of the world. Four corners of the world includes America. It means it's it's every corner, everywhere. Now, in uh, the book of Jeremiah, it says that at the end of days, Hashem is going to save Am Yisrael, not like He saved them in Egypt, but He's going to save them to a higher extent. From where? From the land of the north and from Israel. So it says there's two different places, land of the north and Israel. So Israel, we know where Israel is. Land of the north is what? What's called land of the north? North America. And as you would have it, the most amount of Jews in the entire planet outside of Israel, is North America. That's Canada and the United States. So it couldn't be more obvious than that of why you're in, uh, in, in the United States because Hashem specifically puts you here because you're going to be part of the end-of-day prophecy. Uh, but, I mean, as far as wherever you are today, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be here tomorrow or next week or next year, but point being is that this is very much a part of the nevuah, the prophecies that Hashem already talked about 3,300 years ago. Yeah. What's considered ma'asir money? Any, any income. Any income. If somebody gave you a gift, somebody gave you a gift, let's say of $1,000, that's income. If you work for it, that's income. Anything that's new money. Anything that's new money, it's not your money. Depends who the person is. It's it, there's levels. There's levels of yeah. You can technically give it to everything, but there's levels of uh, in essence an investment. If you give it, let's say for example, the maser money to a bentora, it's definitely worth a lot more than giving it to a homeless person. 
even though the homeless person may very well need it, or it seems like more than the Ben Torah does, in Shemaim, the Ben Torah needs it more. It's much more rewarding to give it to a Ben Torah, and the reason why is because you were brought to the world to publicize Torah much more than you were brought to the world to finance homeless people. Uh, someone, there's plenty of other people to finance homeless people, not to say that it's, Hashem is against it, but the point is, is that the Torah is much more valuable than anything else. Um, so first thing is, is there's levels of where you give your tzedakah. The second thing is, is that you also have to help your own house first. So if, let's say, for example, you have a bentola outside, or you have a kiruv organization outside, these are the two highest levels of tzedakah, is kiruv or learning Torah. Some say they're the same, same high, they're both the highest level, they're equal at the highest level, and some say kiruv is higher than Torah. Either way, Point is, is that you have, let's say, one of these two organizations. One is a kolel, and one is a uh, kiruv organization. But your brother is struggling. Doesn't have food to feed his kids. You have to help him first. You have to help him first. Why? It's your house. It's your house first. So if he's getting from somewhere else, you can give him part, and you give part to the kiruv, but you have to help your own house first. You can't allow your 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 own family to die in front of you. I mean, it's not. It's not. Uh, it could be a chilul Hashem. Depends why the airplane ticket is. If it's an airplane ticket because they're going to learn Torah, yes. If it's an airplane ticket because they go on a vacation, then no. That's not masel. That's not helping. That's a gift. It has to be help. It can't be gift. Gift is a gift. You want to give somebody a gift, give them a gift, give them as much as you want as a gift. But Maser has to be helpful, meaning it has to be to a needy place. Someone that needs it, not just someone that wants it. So if your brother, sister, cousin, and so on, wants to go to a vacation to Australia, and they only have $9,900 out of the 10000 they need, you giving them the $100 is not Maser. It's, it's nice, it's a nice gift, it's just not Maser. Maser is... If the person needs it, needs it for a purpose of fulfilling the will of Hashem. You know, so survival, food, rent is fulfilling the will of Hashem. They have to survive. Learning Torah is the will of Hashem. Doing tshuva is the will of Hashem. Going on vacation, not so much. More of the will of us. More of our desires. So you could give them a gift, it's just not ma'asel. Enjoy giving him a gift. Just don't don't think it's myself. Repeat that again. Yeah, I mean, if they if they have enough money to go on vacation, they don't need your help. That's really what it comes down to. If they have enough money to go on vacation, they don't need your help. It's nice, but they don't need your help. It's not Marcel. It's not. They don't need your help. It's nice. It's a nice gift. Um, you know, it's a uh, the mitzvah that you'll get in Shemaim is drastically higher 
if you give it to a Kiruv organization or a Ben Torah or Kolel, something that's involved with Torah, uh, is much more valuable in Shemaim than paying for somebody's vacation. Uh, it's similar to comparing if uh, you know somebody wants to pay for their car. You know, you you know they need help to pay their car, but they have a Lamborghini that's I don't know a few thousand dollars a month. You giving them uh, you know a few thousand dollars a month to help them pay for their fancy schmancy car, it's not my sale. Why? They could buy a very cheap you know cheaper car. They don't need to get a car that's three thousand dollars a month. You understand? So that's that's also another thing. It depends. It's if, if the person is uh, living a high life, you paying for their high life is not staka. It's not it's not myself. You know, and again, going on vacation is not necessarily high life. It's just that it's not myself. It's not myself. Um, you don't necessarily need to do din v'cheshbon of what they're going to do with the money, but you should try your best to aim your tzedaka as an investment, a spiritual investment, not just a monetary investment, a spiritual investment. Where is it going to get me the most amount of mitzvot? Now, if I give it to this person that's going to go to Israel, let's say it's masel, let's say it is masel, let's just agree, we, let's say some big chacham comes here and tells us, you know what guys, it's your brother, it's your sister, it's your cousin, they go to Israel, mitzvah, to go to Israel, it's masel. Let's say it's masel, fine, no problem. $100 goes to Master. So what also, how many mitzvot comes out of this mitzvah going to Israel? Okay, go to Israel is mitzvah. Once they go to Israel, maybe they're going to go to Beknesset. Okay, so maybe we're going to have a part of the mitzvah of them going to Beknesset. So we got a second mitzvah. And maybe they're going to eat kosher food. Okay, we got a second and third mitzvah. Or right, maybe they're going to kibbut avayim. Maybe they're going to visit the parents. So another mitzvah. Let's say in the whole trip of 10 days, we got 10, 15 mitzvot. Great, right? Now, on the other hand, you give it same hundred dollars. You buy a hundred CDs. Hundred CDs are given to a hundred different people. Out of the hundred CDs, only twenty actually listen to the CD. Twenty. Out of the twenty, let's say we have horrible statistics, and only five do tshuva. Five. You know what? Make it worse. Let's say only one. One does tshuva out of a hundred CDs. It's horrible. You should quit. But let's say only one does tshuva. Out of the CD. One. Every single mitzvah that person ever does from that day until they die goes to your account. Meaning it's an endless amount of mitzvot. Every day, just for shachrit, just for shachrit, you already made 50 something blessings. For shachrit, he said amen 50 times to mitzvot. For a, uh, every time he ate, every time he blessed something, every time he gave tzedakah, every time he learned Torah, every word he reads in a Torah, every letter in a Torah is a mitzvah. He reads one verse in the Torah, that's already 30, 40 mitzvot. So, you're part of what one CD, you have endless mitzvot from that person. Or if it's a ben Torah, you give it $100 to a ben Torah, he survived, whatever, he paid for his kids' uh, tuition, or he, they ate uh, sandwiches finally with some meat on them for the first time in a few months. So, they survived that month, but now that you bought it yourself a portion of time for his month. You bought, let's say, I don't know, a day or two days of his time of that month. Two days worth of learning Torah. Each day, an average of could be making over a half a million mitzvot. Half a million went into your account. So, you compare. So, even if the $100 to the brother or the sister or someone else is a mitzvah, is ma'asel, it's 15 mitzvot versus millions. So, again... Even if it is a mitzvah, it's not really the smartest investment.
You understand? It's like, okay, it's 15, but versus a million. If I told you, listen, you take your $100, you put it into one bank, you get $115 at the end of the year. 100 you get 115 back. You put it in the other bank, you get a million at the end of the year. Which one do you put in? Million. That's it. You don't have to be a genius. It's a million. Simple. It's like Bitcoin before it blows up. Bitcoin. Uh, somebody said that if you invested in Bitcoin s- several years ago, uh, 10 years ago or something like that, you made hundreds of millions of dollars. It's By the way, it's all bogus as far as these uh, statistics that people do because the price of half a penny that they say that things used to be, it wasn't there for like months and months and months of time where you, anyone actually had a real chance to buy it at that price. You know, so that's also one of the ways that they make the exaggerate things it's really not it's really i mean yes it went up in value uh or at least in price it went up not necessarily in value but uh point is is that don't fall into the hype anything else If somebody made a vow to give tzedakah, why is it the same as? Oh, the Gemara talks about it of how if somebody made it already a commitment in his head, technically should be judged as if he already said it. Uh, but uh, there's a, a few opinions on that. It's a few opinions on that. Uh, in general, you should deliver on your promise unless that promise is bad for you, meaning that you made a promise to give $100 for a certain organization, but then you find out that that organization is full, full of liars and cheaters, then you made that promise based on a false pretense, so that's a very easy situation to get out of. Because machshava is almost a ma'aseh. So where do we learn it from? Machshava, thinking, is almost considered the same exact thing as actually doing something, as actual action. We learn that from a few places. One place we learn it from is from korbanot, from the, uh, the laws of doing korbanot. When they brought the sacrifices to Bet HaMikdash, now the sacrifice has a purpose. Either sac- is a purpose to... Uh, repent for a sin, or to give honor to Hashem, or so on, different different reasons for, for these uh, korbanot. Now, if it's a korban chatat, if it's a korban, a sacrifice that they brought for, for a sin, and the person that brought the korban didn't really feel sorry. He didn't feel sorry. He brought cow, 10,000, $20,000 cow, jahash cow, 3,000 pounds, he brought the cow, but he has money. He has, he has enough money to buy 10 farms. He doesn't really feel bad that he violated Shabbat by accident. He doesn't really feel bad about whatever sin he made. But to get the people off of his head, he brought the korban. That's called pigul. Pigul means that that korban is worthless. Completely worthless. He could bring not only one korban, he could bring a million korbans. He could bring a million sacrifices, and they're all worthless. Because unless... He's sorry for the sin. It's not worth anything. So that korban is as if he brought nothing. It's just a waste of money.
but no one knows it. It's in his mind. Hashem knows it. Hashem knows it. So just his thought, his thought ruined the action. So from here is one of the few places we learn that your thoughts do uh, are considered as actual action. That's, so there was actually a debate that I had one time uh, with this rabbi where uh, there was a debate of whether if, some, if someone came out with a new car, if someone came out with a new car and the car would work off of your mind, whatever you thought, go forward. Go thought, backwards. Is it Chilul Shabbat? Can you drive it on Shabbat if it just works off your mind? And you can't. Why can't you? Because thinking is an actual action. And there's debates about it. It's not 100%. Point is, is that Pigul is one of the examples of why for it, that you, it's, it's the same thing. Yeah. Are you allowed to give more than 20%? Yes, if you are rich. If you're rich, you can give 100%. If you're not, then you're not allowed to put yourself in a place where you'd be, uh, you're not allowed to make yourself poor. Not allowed to make yourself poor. Uh, but uh, if, you have, if you're rich, then you're allowed to give 100% of your income. Like if, you know, millionaires, they don't need the millions of dollars they make every year. They can give everything away. It's no problem. Yeah, obviously, as long as they survive and everything else, they're not allowed to make themselves poor. But uh, yes, there's. Uh, but Judaism, in general, standard is you're not allowed to give more than twenty percent, uh, because uh, the Torah has laws where you're chas v'shalom, don't act stupid and make yourself poor. Like a lot of people in India, for example, I know one particular case for sure. Um, a person that used to be a millionaire, which is in India, is considered like really, really rich made themselves poor by giving a lot of their money to Abu Dazara. Millions of dollars he gave it to Abu Dazara. He gave it to the cows, he gave it to the gurus, he gave it to all these different things. And he literally became like broke because of it. Why? They don't have laws against you know restraining us from uh, giving them money. They want all the money. They don't care if you go broke. They don't care if you go homeless. Judaism cares. Torah cares. Hashem cares. Tell Zad Hashem, we'll have another shiur tomorrow in Miami. Uh, like I said, tomorrow we're probably going to talk more about Hanukkah, some of the things of how it's connected today, to today. Uh, and then, Zad uh, Hashem, next week we have the next Mishnah. I just have to think about what to say to you guys and what not. Um, because on one end, these are some things that we need to hear. Like some of the things you heard today are a little harder than usual. Um, so some of the things we need to hear because it needs to wake us up. It needs to break that stone of a heart that we have. Uh, on the other hand, there's just certain things that are not necessarily too much. I mean, it's in a Torah. You need to hear it. It's just that um, get ready for a big shiur. This is the type of stuff that is going to stop you from sinning. Uh, it's, it's the type of stuff that you need to know at least once in your life. So it's not, uh, you know, some people say, oh, it's not for everyone. I personally think it is for everyone uh, because everyone has the same Yetzirah. Different levels, but they're the same, same Yetzirah. And the strategy of, uh, of not saying anything is simply not working. Simply not working. So again, it's not 100% sure. I still have to double check a few things. But either way, it's definitely going to be a shiur about things that are beyond the scope of our traditional shiur, just the level of it. I'm not really 100% sure yet. But, Be'ezat Hashem, we'll have the Siyat Dishmaya. We'll uh, learn together, we'll do together. And, uh, Be'ezat Hashem, tomorrow, again, we have another shiur. Ba'uch Adonai Le'olam. 
אמן ואמן.